passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting, and this is our Forbidden Door Review. Monday at noon, I'm going to speak for Wei because I think I feel the same way. I feel as though we uh, sprinted into a wall, and that is where we are today. How are you, Wei? Sprinted into a wall. And, uh, That's what I feel like right now. Okay. I'm on. Co- I'm exhausted. I am absolutely yeah. exhausted. I went to sleep around 4.30. Yeah. And I don't know when I woke up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel similar. You know, last night trying to do these shows after going to the event would have been, oh, it's just really hard. Like, it's really, really difficult. So, Way is the ultimate professional, folks. As him and I were in an Uber at three in the morning, whatever time it was, and Way's, should we record something real quick just to put up and, God bless the man, but I was just like, Way, I'm tapped, dude. I think yeah. the folks can wait till noon. And Way was like, You're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I like it, you know, like thinking about it, like we, we have all these ideas. Usually like we go on right afterwards, even like when we're in Montreal, for instance, you know, it's just like record right after, right? Um but I guess sometimes you can just step back and realize it's not the end of you know, the world if we're not in people's inboxes in the morning. So we're going to be in there 12 o'clock. Yeah. Did you want to quickly just touch a little bit upon uh, the pre forbidden door festivities that went down at real sports? First of all, a shout out to all of the people that showed up and man to Braden and Davey, who I just, I love these two guys. They are the best and really, really um, w- with all due respect, uh, a lot of the planning for this was uh Davey, Braden, and Way, who just uh, went above and beyond. I really felt like a passenger for this whole thing. So you guys, uh, I, I was blown away by everything. Like, it looked like such a professional setup, and everyone seemed to have such a great time. And I love doing these shows. I love doing the live shows. I think this was our most successful one that, that we have done, just in terms of numbers and uh, the after-party component, which, uh, unfortunately, uh, AEW had other plans, so I could not make it to the after-party uh, as we had a press conference that went till about 2.30 in the morning. But uh, Nonetheless, I did get to catch up with you guys for the after-after-party on the street. The after-after-party, right, yes. Um, I, I I don't think I, I could have been happier with the way things turned out, and maybe I speak for, you know, the Poison Rana boys as well. But um, it was uh, – it was – it was awesome, man. Like we had, we sold out. We had to turn people away, unfortunately, at the door. You know, just simply due to the capacity of that particular room that we booked. Um, uh, had a wonderful turnout. Like it was just honestly amazing to be able to um, have everybody that we know within sort of like our virtual circle in the same physical place. So many people that are you know either regulars on our shows or like just regularly who are regularly interact with people in the community made it 
over to Toronto for this particular thing and to be able to hold an event where that gave a lot of people excuses to, you know, convene in the same place was awesome. Really, really awesome. I've had several, I had several people come up to me saying that, Hey, like, um, you know, this card, it looks great, but I wouldn't necessarily have pulled the trigger unless you guys were doing something like this. Cause a lot of people are coming in, not necessarily knowing other wrestling fans. Um, and pe- a lot of people just wanted the, uh, probably appreciated the extra incentive to be able to, you know, go to an event and also do something like this before and after the event. Wrestling karaoke was awesome. <laughs> like, what, what were some of the uh, the selections? So they got this guy, Hot Breath, who does, you know... Um, Hot Breath. Yeah, he, he he was the MC, like the guy who was running the, the karaoke, and, and uh, he did a fantastic job. He had this, like, streamer with, like, um, <laughs> toilet paper, like streamers, basically, that he would okay. put out if, like, if somebody did a really great job. But, like, they managed to find, you know, wrestling carry... Like, act, like it's not just YouTube videos. Uh, even though I I think some of these might anyway they were like lyric videos with like you know for Judas and for like uh, uh, certainly like a highlight for me was uh, hearing Eric Marcotte do a Batista <laughs> Batista's theme song. <laughs> I walk alone. Yeah. Um, I put a a small video up up on our Instagram what a weekend for stories. Eric Marcotte. I mean he had yeah. uh, his Sonata encounter. He was uh yeah he was, and uh, all of these things he never signed up for. It's people signing him up for. <laughs> stuff dickie bird signed up eric for the sonata meet and greet that eric didn't know about ended up getting trapped in the air canada center for like three hours yeah, the scotia bank arena kidnapped eric marcotte and brandon from new jersey they were they were stuck in there uh and then went through the uh the tapings on saturday night um yeah. and then and then this batista thing somebody signed him up for but you know as always eric puts his full heart into it whether it's beating sonata or sing batista's theme song uh, he did great. John Cena did a um, um, uh, John Cena's theme song uh, for today. But it, it, honestly, it was so much fun. They did so like so well with with the games, and a lot of people had some really great questions for our Q and A. Um, and the staff at, at Real Sports were, I mean, some of the most professional that we've been able to work with for something like this. Yeah, I was pretty amazed when I walked in there, and like all the the, the graphics that they had up, like th- this looked like such a professional setup that that we had. It was the location was phenomenal. I still couldn't believe that we landed this location. Like for those in Toronto, they will be familiar, like with Real Sports. Like this is the the big stadium bar that is owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and it is like no word of a lie like it is a stone's throw across the street from the Scotiabank arena we could not have a closer location and we thought this would be a great opportunity not just to host all of our friends and listeners but hopefully you know pick up you know some new people that might just stumble upon I walk alone uh on the karaoke screen and uh come into the poison rana post wrestling uh, universe so I only got to be there for the the, the Q&A portion but man we got some great questions. It was everyone seemed to have a really good time. Um, I always enjoy those those shows. I I love doing them and getting to meet all of the listeners. Uh, first time we got to meet our man Neil, and that was a high, highlight for me this this weekend. Was just getting to meet him, hang out with him for a bit. It was odd. It was as though it was like I have not met him, but it it really did not feel like that. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, just it, it, so many people were up here, new, new people, old listeners like all gamuts of uh listenership over the years yeah yeah it's it, it you know we, we i i i now often have experiences where like i meet people in real life for the first time that i've been speaking to or sometimes for years online and almost in all cases y- you just kind of pick right up from like where you were 
online. Like it feels like I I already know these people pretty well. The thing, the one thing I'm not prepared for are people's heights, and that that Your never heights. translates. Well, yeah, like oh, know. how tall they are. Yeah, I yeah, mean, exactly. Bruce Lord is a giant. I mean, he's we have uh, a lot of tall listeners. Okay, I was do. standing, I was standing in a circle with like Bruce Lord. I think uh, Robert Pearson, Jesse from the Six, Neil. I'm taking like you know a selfie photos, and I look like a you know a, you know a hobbit next to these guys. We have some tall people podcasting. Yeah, I've never I've never thought of the height situation, but I guess you're right. Um, when, when you think about it like that, I'm used to uh I'm used to being the taller one, but I guess I just kind of uh yeah just blend into the background. So anyway, that was a a big thank you to everyone uh, that that came out, that traveled, and uh, went to the shows, uh, came to the after party. Uh, we thank you very much. Brain and Davey are doing another one of these events over a uh, uh, all in weekend. The day all of, in it, yeah, all in it. They have already sold out. Um, they're they're uh, the Trinity Bar, I believe, is the uh, location. So they. They don't need any more promotion for that show, but that should be a lot of fun. If I can honestly say, if I was not a part of this, I, w- I would attend one of these. It was, they are the party hosts. They are just in their element uh, yeah. as the MCs. Yeah, I, I'm sure plenty more in their future. As- the hosts of Way's wedding. Like, what uh, yeah. endorsement could you have than Way enlisting those two on the biggest day of his life? Yeah, no wrestling karaoke at my wedding, although maybe, you know, maybe my next wedding. <laughs> what are you saying? Why? I think you're you're one and done. All right. Well, we do have Forbidden Door to get into. My grand plan was I always just assume that there will be all this extra time. I was gonna hopefully watch a portion of this show this morning, but um surprise, surprise, I have not seen any of the show uh beyond you know the live experience of it. So that's where I'm going to be uh coming at it from. As a note taker, of which uh I got comments, including from Pat LaProd, very old school Pollock with the pen and paper. Um, it's very hard in an AEW setting, especially to be jotting down notes and looking up and looking down. Mm-hmm. So don't be the guy surprised you missed the sunset flip spot. Surprised. Surprised. Yeah. Don't be I, that guy. You, don't be that guy. Nobody really likes that guy. Um, but we do appreciate, you know. Corrections if we do miss something big. So chat room is open. Thank you all to who uh, you know are making the time at 12 p.m. Eastern time in the in the YouTube. Um, but uh, I have so much respect for you handwriting notes for AEW. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, well, I I am now officially investing in a um, in a portable uh, charger that I can have because um, that has been the bane of my existence. Actually, this. <laughs> Maybe I'll save it for another time. I had a hell of a weekend. A hell of a weekend. <laughs> it's uh, the uh, uh, it, long story short. I was I was in a bit of a car wreck on on Friday night. Uh, I was at a red light and got smoked from behind. And I'm okay. That that is the the good news. Uh, depending on your opinion of me. And anyway, so that was my Friday night. Was <laughs> the the car accident was one thing. It was waiting afterwards for the officers to arrive to give my statement of which this car accident occurred at about 10:40 PM. The cop arrived at just after 4 AM and I walked through my door at 5 AM on Saturday morning. And it mm-hmm. was just an ungodly experience where, uh, as I had 1% battery left on my phone, I am texting with the man on the screen waiting who at one in the morning 
So this is hours before I knew I would be freed uh, is offering to come in the middle of the night to to come pick me up like a, a true a true friend that I just could not subject to my agony and and drag him down as well. But a, a public thank you way. Oh, please. No, I'm I I've been there, you know, like uh, not that late, thankfully. But, you know, at that point, like where you don't have a car. um, Yeah. And those are my regular hours anyway, so you weren't really interrupting. I'm so just I, so sorry. I got into that. a car accident at a, a convenient time for you is what you're saying. <laughs> I guess so. If it was like 10 in the morning, I was like, F oh, off, Paul, yeah. like I'm tired. Call an Uber. Um, I'm, I'm First of all, like, you know, I, I was I was horrified to, to hear that. Um, I know how, it's great that obviously you're you're physically okay. It doesn't sound like anybody else in the, in the accident. Well, anyway, um, you don't have to talk about that. But um, I... I, I felt terrible that you had, you know, a, a shitty night to what sounded like an incredible experience going to see MJ, a show that you were really looking forward to. So I'm just going to get into it now. Okay, we'll get into Forbidden Door. So on Friday, all week I was debating. This was at Downsview Park in Toronto. I've never attended a concert at Downsview Park. So I'm debating all week. I'm like, do I just take the subway to this show or do I just drive? And it was going to be raining on top of it. I'm like, great. This is an outdoor show at the end. I'm just like, I'm just going to drive because it's going to be easier. So I'm going through traffic on Friday. It's normal everyday traffic uh, on a, on a Friday. I leave my house at around five 15, the concert, the first set is six 45. I get to um, shepherd West, which is um, you're taking keel up to Shepherd West and then making a right. And it's 500 meters on Shepherd West to Downsview Park, the entrance. So it is about 6, 10 p.m. that I pull up to Shepherd West. I am 500 meters away from the entrance and I turn gridlock as everyone is trying to get into this concert. I was like, okay, whatever. It's going to be a, a crawl into this entrance. And suddenly it's 620. And it's 6.30. I'm like, oh, man, we're getting close to showtime here. We are not moving. Mm. And I can uh, tell you folks that this 500 meters resulted in two hours. And I missed MJ. What? I missed MJ, <laughs> who was on first. And thus, oh. um, if there is another MVP in this, um, my buddy inside, Ziggy, videos me on whatsapp and i watched mj set on my phone <laughs> on my dashboard she oh. i was hoping i was like they've got to be starting late there's no way mj's on promptly at 6 45 to start and dude i don't make it into the it's two hours in this gridlock to the point i'm debating if i'm gonna go to this concert like i it's pouring rain i'm waiting to probably get gouged for parking anyway i get in oh. And the concert turns out, I, I got there for the uh, two and a half hours. I got in there to enjoy the, the back half of it. And then <laughs> me on my way home, I'm like, yeah, you know what? This, this night turned out okay in the end. I missed MJ, but hey, it was fun. And then thus I, I get to a red light and uh, boom, uh, my night goes back to hell. But anyway, that, that was Friday night. For I, I'm shocked. <laughs> like after the, <laughs> I saved that life. part because it didn't seem like the worst tragedy after <laughs> what I had told you about my overall night. But I'm yes, like, I, you know, okay, yeah, like he told the car, but at least he got to see MJ. And no. <laughs> that's not even the case. He sounded just, great on my phone, though. It was like the, the dude, my buddy literally he, it's pouring rain and he's holding the phone up for 30 minutes. Like my friend Ziggy was it was very kind of him because so, he knew how much I wanted to see that was the whole reason I was going to the show. 
I imagine that's part of the reason why he was there too, right? Unless he was also a big MJ or Stevie B or LaBouche fan. Well, dude, the people who came, they were there to see Joey, who is a Toronto superstar, at least was in the day. And come, they had a hard out apparently at 11 p.m. And Stevie B had to still go on. So Joey's playing his set and then suddenly the lights go out and you see him throw the mic down. And he leaves and everyone's chanting Angel because that's Joey's big song that he doesn't get to play. And they have to go on the loudspeaker. You think he's getting the big encore? No, they're like, um, we have a time limit and uh, we have to get to Stevie B. So th- that was the end of Joey. And th- this crowd was not happy with the end of uh, Joey. They were they wanted Angel and man, they did not get one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just imagine the furious, you know, battle in the back between Joey and Stevie B. Oh, uh, this was, I mean, over yeah. Angel. Yeah, the, dude, there, <laughs> I bet you Joey would have had some Mindy's afterwards if he was uh, speaking to the press afterwards. He was, he was not happy about this, this uh, turn of events. All right. I think this is the longest we can go on a Forbidden Door review without talking about Forbidden Door. So with all due respect, uh, we should probably move on to that. Did you, did you have a good weekend? Otherwise. I had a great weekend, John. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, I, I didn't drive. Um, that's the that's the moral of the story. Never drive. That's In that Toronto, was my that was Achilles. that was my Achilles on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Opting yeah. to drive should have taken the subway. Okay, Forbidden Door from the sold out Scotiabank Arena. They announced a gate of one point two million dollars, which um, Tony Khan had stated is their new record, which would make it slightly above. Um, double or nothing, which um, Brandon Thurston also had some numbers, but I guess how they arrive at these like this, it would technically be their record. It's kind of a moot point because they're going to shatter uh, their record in two months time when the Wembley Stadium, I mean, they already have shattered the record. That is the real gate record for the company uh, for August 27th, but um, sold out crowd. Um, Neither of us went to collision on Saturday and it looked like the, you know, they did get over 6,000 tickets distributed and, I think you can look at that as a combination of punk moving tickets and they did also reduce prices of some tickets. So I think the combination, you at least got a, a healthy, even though half crowd in Toronto on Saturday night. Yeah. When we're strictly talking, you know, numbers in the building. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly it sounded great by the time, you know, it, it got on air. And I think at that point, you know, not only of course you want to be profitable, um, but you also want to present a good on air present uh, product and, on air, it, it certainly looked it. Hamilton for collision next week is probably still going to be a bit of a challenge to make look good. They lost one of the matches just several hours before the show when Adam Cole, they just listed an illness. It turns out he showed up, he had a fever, and they were concerned enough. They didn't want other people to get sick as well, so they pulled the match with Adam Cole and Tom Lawler, but it just sounds like he might have the flu. This does not sound like anything too serious and for all we know, he could be on TV Wednesday, so it doesn't sound like it's anything too concerning, but it was enough that they did pull it. Very unfortunate for Tom Lawler, as this was, you could argue, the biggest, I would say, the biggest singles match when you consider the platform that he had. Um, I didn't think this was probably going to be a long match. It would probably be one of the shorter ones on the show to get a solid win for Adam Cole, but it was a showcase for Tom Lawler, who did get, well, technically on the show in a dark match with Serpentico that the live crowd got to see. I don't think this aired on fight or anything. Um, Four minutes and 13 seconds with Lawler getting the win. And hopefully with Lawler, he gets a, an invite back. There's no reason you couldn't do Cole and Lawler on TV 
um, mm-hmm. one of these weeks. So unfortunate for Tom Lawler because this this was a big, big match for for his career. Yeah, I, I mean, I was certainly disappointed. I didn't even know the match was taking place that, that early. So I unfortunately wasn't able to, to see the. No, the this was before seven. Match. So I don't think this aired in any capacity other than for the live crowd. But, you know, I heard a lot of disappointment for, for you know, um, this match being off this card. Um, You know, obviously for Adam Cole, but I think as, as much for Adam Cole, Tom Lawler, you know, and a lot of people, you know, recognizing that this guy has been working really hard and is deserving of, of you know, a shot on a big stage. So I imagine Tony Khan would would book him again for either dynamite or collision yeah and you would think like he could be a part for a ring of honor at, at, at the very least that mm-hmm. you know would would fit in pretty seamlessly there and you also had royce isaac's part of the angle on saturday setting up the match tony khan came out there was a big pop for him and then we got um it was interesting during the zero hour when the rundown came up like you knew exactly it was going to be a replication even and more so for CM Punk because he was booed every time his image was showing and that definitely extended to the match. So we'll quickly go through the results of the zero hour. We had the best friends Rocky Romero and El Desperado against the Mogul Embassy and this one it featured a lot of a lot of big spots, getting the audience into it. Desperado was very popular. Cage missed a discus lariat, hitting Swerve, and then uh, they worked together with a assisted F five onto Rocky Romero and Swerve, pinning him with the Swerve Stomp. And this one went twelve minutes and thirty three seconds to open the show. Good reaction, and uh, Trent Beretta uh, as well looked very good in this. Hit a moonsault to the floor. But Swerve gets the victory here after losing to Tanahashi the night prior, which was, um, yeah, a match that you and Kate went over. And we will talk about Tanahashi later. Yes, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Good action. You know, um, good presentation. Um, Swerve comes out looking, as always, like a star when he's backed up by, you know, three giant dudes. They actually changed this because on the uh, I believe the night prior, they announced this as a six man with Rapungi Vice and Desperado versus um the mogul affiliates minus Brian cage. So they just decided to add Chucky T and and Brian cage in there. Yeah. Unfortunately, no Rick Ross on the shows this weekend was very close in town. I wonder if, I wonder if they went on a nice coffee date, Rick Ross and Swerve. I mean, at the the very least, if the cameras were rolling there, you never need an excuse to get the big boss, Rick Ross Hmm. on a W program promoted by the same promoters as the, the Joey. Yes. Yes. Someone booked MJ and Rick Ross knowing the demographic right here. Not on uh, the same show, but at the same place and two nights in a row. Yeah. I I couldn't imagine the the Saturday show was wild. Like I didn't go to this one, but like you had Nelly, Neo, Rick Ross. I mean, Ja Rule. Like Joe, I think. Oh yeah. This, this was like 2003 coming at you really hard. So anyway, yours was about 10 decades earlier. And then, the Nelly was maybe I'll tell you, I, I thought Friday was pretty niche, but dude, it was it was packed at Downsview. Like not not yeah, full I'm full, shocked. but it was I couldn't believe how many people were there. And it was a certain demographic because there was at one point uh someone that came upon me and my two friends and were like, How old are you guys? You look so young. I was like, dude, if you're looking at me and saying <laughs> young, then that really does tell you it's an older audience here because I do not think I scream. <laughs> What's even like? Well, how old did they look? I mean, older than us, but not like it, it was. It, it, dude, put it this way: I I was looking around. I could not. I don't think this was an under thirty crowd that that was coming out for uh, Joey and yeah. such. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big Palazzo scene of the early two thousands, they came out in droves. Way, po- Palazzo. Did you ever go to Palazzo? 
No? Never. No. Club Menage? I'm sorry. King Street West? No. Okay. Back to the review. We also had Kevin Kelly, Excalibur, and Chris Charlton calling the zero-hour matches. Athena versus Billy Starks in the Owen Hart Cup was next. A fine match that they had, although, you know, not as um, – not like this big breakout match, I thought, for um, – was that the next match? Yeah, that was the second match here. You had uh, – uh, yeah, yeah, this one that was next. Yeah, yeah so th- this one went about eight minutes. You had Stark selling for a fair amount of it. Um, they they went back and forth with, with drop kicks, and then it starts with a swan dive landing on the edge of the apron. That looked fun. And then a uh, Athena hit her finish uh, with the kind of a – Stormbreaker into the DDT and advances in the tournament. I thought there was the chance that you would do the big upset of Billy Starks, but no, this was just a solid win for Athena, which is fine. You want to, I think, reacclimate her on the AEW side during this tournament, and she should be a a figure in the women's division on AEW. And she can moonlight in Ring of Honor, but I would not be making her exclusive. She's such an asset to the main shows, and from those that have been watching Ring of Honor every week. She has been a highlight consistently uh, for people with this title run that she's had. So I, I think like that's the example of someone that let's not pigeonhole them as just being ROH exclusive. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have been a neat idea to you know have Billy Starks all of a sudden get this upset win and just continue on with a bit of momentum for an introduction to this tournament. But I mean, Athena at this point is also in need of a reintroduction for an audience who hasn't probably seen her um, on AEW TV in quite a while. And from all accounts, she's been doing great. So hopefully this will lead to that. I think she becomes maybe even a prime candidate to, to actually win the whole thing. Then we had Stu Grayson. Uh, this was unexpected, taking on Logan Paul. And um <laughs> dude this guy is just such a dead ringer for logan paul he's like, speaking of el Fantasmo. it's everybody. and i wasn't the only one who like uh noted this uh in in, in our press area mm-hmm. so um el Fantasmo just came out and it was like okay i'm in a cold match on this show but man am i gonna show out and he did uh, like springboards uh swanton quebrada follow-up top rope hurricane rana and then the uh the, the splash off the top. There's a 450 by Stu onto the back for a two count, and then a springboard tornado DDT by El Fantasmo that he couldn't have hit more crisp into the CR2 and wins the match in seven minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, I really enjoyed this match. It was it didn't come in with any kind of buildup. It was really just a let's go out there and show out for our seven minutes. And man, I think El Fantasmo can be a breakout babyface. I'm very excited for him in the G1 this year in this role. Um, but yeah, it was. I I think this is the kind of match you want on a zero hour. That it's it's not any stakes. It's not a big um, marquee match, but it was enjoyable for the time they had. Sure. Yeah. Um. I I can't really say it, it made that big of an impression on me. Um. Other than the fact that I mean, Elfin Tasmal received a great reaction here. Um. You know, in Toronto, and um, it's a crowd that you know loves its Canadians. Um. But even Canadians that aren't AEW you know, regulars, um, they treated like a big deal. I felt there was very much like a, you know, sort of like a new Japan aura attached to anybody that uh, is from that company um, because it, they're rarely seen and they nonetheless felt like stars tonight. And the final zero hour match, it was Shingo Takagi, Hiromu Takahashi and Bushi against United Empire's Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher and TJP. They went seven and a half minutes and Big reaction for Hiromu. Uh, Cobb hit a uh, suplex. And then Hiromu, um, he came down off this suplex from Cobb. And it was scary Mm -hmm. as hell. And instant uh, 
memories of the Dragon Lee match with Hiromu. I just, I freaked uh, watching this. And, you know, he continued the match. He was fine. He didn't get, like, spiked on the head. But, goddamn, was it dangerously close. Like, too close. Too close. You know, um, and I suppose, like, this sort of thing will will be a bigger conversation later on in the show. But especially for somebody like Hiromu, who... Is even we should be reminded that we're extremely lucky that we even get him wrestling today. Um, to put him in that sort of risky situation, man, I I don't know about these belly to belly suplexes all the yeah, time. This was a lot like the the, the Ridge Hall and Big E uh, yeah. spot. I mean, it was it scary. was really really scary to to watch. Um, spin cycle into a Mamba splash by TJP on Shingo for a two count, but then it's uh, Shingo making the big comeback on TJP and winning with Made in Japan and Lij get the victories here. So uh, scary spot aside, like uh, a fine six man uh to go into the pay-per-view agreed i thought it was a good match um certainly you know felt deserving of a zero hour main event the best of the matches that we saw in my opinion flet kyle fletcher is looking really strong you know um as almost like a standout um single star um you know without his partner here like it, it he feels like he's definitely like on the cusp of of breaking out you know um on, onto his own so he's emerging and uh tony basically said like this was sort of like a preview of giving lij a big a big win ahead of their roh match on um this week i think yeah and it was also brought up in the press conference by tony Khan when he was asked sort of about the the structuring of these shows and it seems that what we got last month with the pre-show where i think it was one match and it seems that's going to be more the norm than this, where this was a case of all these talents were over. They wanted to get everyone on the show, but sort of loading up the zero hour, it seems like they're going to do the kind of less is more approach. And we might be getting like one to two matches with a lot of interviews and stuff with RJ and Renee. So, yeah. um yeah, I guess, I, we'll, I guess we'll see what they do for, for Wembley uh, as well. That'll be their next uh, pay-per-view or death before dishonor. I was personally happy to see you know certainly a single takagi and Hiromu takahashi on this um uh a pre-show and for that reason you know even like a a strange match like having um i don't know el desperado be a part of um chaos to like and the best friends to team up against the mogul affiliates i thought there was enough novelty in all these little matches that made this extended uh what is it a zero hour worthwhile but I I definitely feel like there were some complaints, especially from people who aren't, you know, regular AEW viewers about how long this show was by the end of it. Um, so we did, started. Did you feel this the show? Like, what did you feel about? I was. I, I didn't have an issue with it. So I was exhausted after the zero hour, John, and uh, that was probably as much from you know the, the everything like uh, with Forbidden Poor as as anything. But by the time the zero hour ended, I'm like, how am I going to stay up for for this five hour show? I was energized for this entire five hours because the show was this good, you know, but I could see, you know, if you're just kind of stepping into this as a bit more of a casual observer, certain people I'm sure would have been surprised that after Osprey and Omega, there were still, you know, two very lengthy matches to go. Um, So it's a five hour show. And I think it's a good amount of time for most wrestling fans, but for a lot of people, it, it still feels like a lot. Well, the pay-per-view proper, uh, we move over to the commentary team of Kevin Kelly, Excalibur, and Taz as the three-man team. And it is MJF and Hiroshi Tanahashi in the opener as they had set up on Collision. And MJF is out. Um, 
you know, he had his robe uh, mocking New Japan as an indie. I think had an elbow pad. Ace is ass. So that has become the new Easter egg for MJF is the hidden messages on the elbow pads. And you guys went over it. I I was talking to you uh, earlier in the day just about the Tanahashi match with Swerve. I would say um, Tanahashi came across better in this one. But I mean, the overall statement is still the same that this guy is like his knees are a wreck. He cannot even run at this point. Like, it's very challenging to watch him. Uh, for, forget the slip on Saturday. To me, it was just everything before that. There there was enough of real concern. And as much as we're so used to seeing Tanahashi work injured, it's at a point now where this is the that Saturday match was the first time I've watched a Tanahashi match. And th- this is really hard to watch this guy. And I've never been that critical of Tanahashi and when you see the schedule he has this summer it's daunting for a man that's going to turn 47 later this year yeah because he's got the G1 he's got also got a bunch of indie dates internationally as well which make I mean obviously business relations you understand that but I mean this guy should not be going over to do House of Glory and Impact like there is a plethora of talent that New Japan can send over when this like I honestly believe this should be his final G1. And I just think like this guy is just being held together by God knows what at this point. From what we've known, it's not like he's even had much of an extended time off to be able to heal up from a lot of those injuries. And and at the, I would at the, at the very least hope for him to be able to achieve that um, and not to do the G1 this year. Because if these two matches this weekend are any indication, every Every single one of those G match, G1 matches are going to be a struggle. I mean, it, you know, I, I always thought he was the type of wrestler that, like, even with a broken down body, could really get by by creating a compelling match. And he is able to. Oh, he can get by selling. on, like, he, but, his charisma is through the roof and he can get by on a lesser version. But I mean, like, the high not, fly flows are such a signature. And no. it feels like that is probably something that. Like at least minimizing the amount you're doing in a match or mm. like changing things around. Like he he is beyond to me like the the liger switchover of his career. Like he has to, I think, completely reinvent um a certain stuff. Not reinvent because I he think has he has to can... take time off, I think. You know, just to like hopefully heal some of those injuries. But man, who knows how long that, that time is. And uh I I would say like as much as I even love his selling and, and his you know ability to to play the crowd, I don't think it was enough, especially for like big stage matches like this one on this pay-per-view for a championship. They went 15 minutes and 46 seconds. MJF was great in, in the match as sort of uh quarterbacking this thing and they just tried to get the most out of you know the, the star power involved, involving both guys to the audience. Like the reactions were huge for the entrances for Tanahashi and MJF. MJF was mockingly playing the air guitar, loud chants of coward as MJF went up the ramp. And dude, like they got into an abdominal stretch by Max into Tanahashi fighting for the counter to escape. Uh, MJF did the flare spot, uh, flipping in the corner and then getting tossed off the top. And then there was a shoulder breaker to Tanahashi, pokes him in the eyes. He's given the middle finger. And then Tanahashi hits the high fly flow, but lands on the knees. And Bryce stops MGF from using a belt shot. And Tanahashi gets a visual cover as Bryce is distracted. And then it's the uh, the ring that MGF takes out of the trunks and 
cracks Tanahashi with and gets the win. 15 minutes, 46 seconds, not one of the standout matches on the, not a bad match, but it was sort of just, um, you know, kind of mid tier, which is not going to be a standout on a show like this. Yeah. And I think from what my expectations are of like MJF singles matches, especially MJF, you know, title defenses at this point, I definitely thought this one was a step down. Um, you know, I thought he did some great crowd work to be able to carry this one and, and to kind of make it memorable for that reason. Great atmosphere for that reason, simply because it's, you know, a really hated heel. And no matter how Tanahashi performs in the ring, he's going to be one of the most beloved wrestlers on any roster that he appears on. So that was enough to make this a, a compelling match, at least in terms of atmosphere. Um, but in ring, I thought it was a step below your MJF title match. Tanahashi is very slow and limited right now. And I would even say by the end, it kind of felt like to me, the match went a bit longer than it needed to. And now Max goes on to the Adam Cole program, which involves teaming together in this blind eliminator draw and do you see that as the all-in match, or could there be another de- destination for MJF and Adam Cole? Seems like it would be peaking towards all-in, you know, um, with with the with with the, the the tag tournament probably taking you know a good amount of time. Uh, all out, of course, is also a possibility as well. They're essentially the same time frame, so if if they want to do a tag team match the, the weekend before and then the, the actual title match the weekend after, I I don't think that's out of the possibility um let's go over those dates that they did announce so after all in they will do three shows in the starved metropolis of chicago they will go wednesday night at the now arena for dynamite and rampage and then they're going to do back-to-back nights at the united center so you'll have collision on saturday which is head-to-head with the wwe show in pittsburgh and then sunday night will be all out at the united center yeah, yeah. So uh, a return to Chicago on the, the weekend that we all suspected, you know, right after All In. So it's incredibly ambitious. We will see how they book the matches to feel compelling for both of these events. Um, now, we, we probably can safely assume All Out will be on traditional pay-per-view. Still no knowledge of There's how. There's no update on All In and the broadcast um, information when Tony was asked. Mm-hmm. But I guess if there's a market that could sustain all these shows, it's oh. it's kind of proven to be Chicago, right? Yeah. What what are you thinking more and more about these weekends? Because they're going to be happening on a semi-frequent basis where you're going to have the big WWE show on a Saturday. You've got Collision now and then Sunday. Like, do you think this helps, hurts, or is indifferent to an AEW pay-per-view, like an all-out where you have the WWE show the night prior, like that weekend? Do you think that this is, does it take a dent out of all-out or vice versa to the WWE show? I don't think it takes anything away from All Out. Like, All Out feels so big to anybody who, you know, knows about AEW and would probably care to watch one of these events anyway. I would say the same for, like, a Forbidden Door. If even WWE had, like, you know, um, a PLE the the night prior. You know, the PLEs don't cost... It helps that the PLEs aren't pay-per-views and that, you know, audiences aren't paying 50 bucks two times on a weekend rather than just one. So, um I, I don't think it makes a big difference. Like AEW shows have been relatively infrequent and have been so consistently exceptional pay-per-views, I should say, um, that I, I think people are still making them priorities. Yeah, I do think NXT running against an AEW show, I think that was a mistake on NXT's part. I think that was totally lost, and I don't know if they would replicate that again in the future. But I am very curious in this next year if we do get an, an example where it's a big WWE show against an AEW pay-per-view head-to-head on that night. I don't know if that would happen, but that would be you, – you can't discount that as a as 
the next step in you know some of this counter programming we're also coming up to maybe our first instance of um wwe running a ple up against collision and how will collision summertime we will have that i mean that will be the night where we see what does aew put up against it and conversely on the night before all out like that will be a big big collision if you're booking the united center and that's going against uh the the pittsburgh show i think payback is the show so right yeah, well, I they mean, have a pretty good runway, at least, you know, with Money in the Bank taking place in the afternoon. Special, unique start time. Unique, unique yeah. start time. Satoshi Kojima, the biggest Canadian babyface on this show, mm-hmm. against CM Punk, who comes out. And I'm not going to say, it, it was not, like, there was definitely cheers for Punk, but they were greatly drowned out by the booze. And, again, um, as I felt on Saturday, um, I think this makes for a really compelling atmosphere when you have CM Punk, who, again, felt like uh, a megastar on this show because of those reactions. I would I would not be viewing this reaction in Toronto as a negative at all. I thought mm-hmm. that he came in and this is going to be the the allure of Punk is that, yes, we're out of Chicago. What are the reactions going to be like? It could be very different in Hamilton, or they could just piggyback off Toronto. But that's part of the appeal now is seeing how these different markets react to CM Punk. It's like this is like this is your presidential candidate, and he's going to red and blue states, and we're going to see which is which over this campaign that is his return. Campaign Punk. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I certainly it's what made Saturdays for eight men tags so um, special and entertaining to me was every instance of CM Punk tagging and, and just being able to hear this crowd, re, you know, be rebellious in its um, sort of um, reactions to, to just. Any did we get a Bizarro uh, World line on commentary? I doubt we did, but we did I, not hear commentary. We did not get it on Saturday, so I don't know if we would have gotten it on uh, Sunday either. But it, listen, it, it's. It, the worst thing you can have as a professional wrestler is to have an apathetic crowd. And these crowds for CM Punk are anything but apathetic. This was some of the biggest reaction throughout the entire night. Um, in hindsight, I'm almost kind of grateful that we didn't necessarily get a Kenta match because having somebody like a Satoshi Kojima, who, you know, I don't know how much people like in Toronto would have necessarily, um, I guess, you know, cared um there, there was the Kenta is better chant that started midway through the match. Sure, yeah. But that was almost just, you know, a way to antagonize Punk, right? But I, I'm saying, you know, Satoshi Kojima being on the show, like, he's a baby face. He's a New Japan dad that is in a, a legend that's, like, very hard to, like, dislike. I think almost having, like, a straight-up heel like a Kenta be, be opposed to Punk would have made this match a little bit more awkward. Because having somebody like a Satoshi, Satoshi Kojima against Punk, you know, allowed him to play a straight-up baby face and allowed the audience to put all their negative, or at least, you know, their heel um energy towards a cm punk and for cm punk to play a great heel i thought in this match i thought so too like this was not punk fighting the crowd like he just flipped it into heel mode and he had to know coming off of saturday what the reaction was going to be like i thought he was great in this match i enjoyed this like for the time they had it was 13 minutes and 40 seconds kojima like everything was over he's doing the the flexing his pecs to the crowd they're going nuts and for then him P- punk did his, his own peck dance Oh, okay. I I yeah. missed that part. Well, that's uh, that's great. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, yeah. It's something you know. 
Punk did uh, all the little heel things like getting Kojima in the corner and he wound up for the big chop, but instead he stops and kicks him in the knee, just like a great spot there. And then he does. He's the the Mongolian chops. Mongolian chops. Great. Uh, Just uh, I I really liked all the little things he did. And then it's he gets the big come up where Kojima reverses him and the machine gun chops are levied onto Punk. And he goes in multiple corners doing this. Then there's the top rope elbow by Punk. And he goes to the Anaconda Vice, which is, you know, Tenzon's move, which, I mean, what a beautiful uh, connection that you're not even thinking of in this match that was like a nice little tie-in with uh, Kojima and his famous partner. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's almost like uh, Tenzon. This is the big buildup for Punk versus Tenzon, if there ever was one with all the, the Mongolian chops and the Anaconda Vice. So. Yes, um, a man who can not even stand straight so whatever we said about tanahashi x10 to tenzon forbidden door three forbidden tenzon door three. versus punk okay. yes kojima stops a gts and then there's a, a brain buster for the two count and then on his second attempt punk does hit the uh the gts or at least the uh put his chest to sleep uh with, with, with the <laughs> knee strike where it landed and he pins kojima I listen. I thought Punk looked great in this match, and Kojima was an awesome babyface for this crowd. And this, it was the perfect spot in the show for this level of match. And also gave the out for uh, when Tony Khan was asked why Punk wasn't at the press conference. Was the match was earlier in the evening? Mm, yes. Sure. No Punk at the press conference, but yeah. it said he's doing lots of media, and I'm sure he'll do a great job on another future press conference. Yes, yes. Really fun match. I actually thought this was one of the highlights of the evening, you know, just again, due to crowd response and just the fun of being able to boo a CM Punk um, that's not necessarily a heel. And I'm, I'm, I hope this is something that carries across throughout the rest of Canada. Uh, I'd be very curious to see his reaction in Calgary because he's they're still going really full on with like you know all the all the Brett Brett tribute gear, but in Toronto that didn't really make a lick of difference at all. I thought Punk played with the reaction perfectly, gave us this great teasing heel performance, genuinely looking like he was having fun in there, thriving in enemy enemy territory. So it's really for the benefit of both the performer and also for the in ring in ring on screen product as well that you know they continued to play with this more so than. John Cena, you know, CM Punk is, is is a baby face with an edge who's not afraid to, you know, antagonize and do things that could just be straight up deemed heelish in certain territories. And I think that makes him far more compelling and interesting as a character. Great performance from Satoshi Kojima, I felt, you know, obviously it helps having, you know, a, a crowd reaction like like this, but because of he had that it gave you so much more appreciation for all the things that he probably usually shows that aren't as appreciated like his incredible charisma in ring i thought everything he's still able to do looked really good the machine gun chops got a great reaction so i'm glad this one had time i enjoyed this more than njf tanahashi oh i did too yeah absolutely yeah Third match on the pay-per-view was the AEW International Championship four-way with Orange Cassidy defending against Zack Sabre Jr., Katsuyori Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. And this was a hell of a match that I I saw a ton of praise for. And I I was amazed this was only 11 minutes and 27 seconds because they worked in so much and you had all these competing stories of all four figures uh, coming into this match and this audience like understanding all the submissions of Zach, the history of Shibata and Daniel Garcia, who to me, this has been, um, you know, he was a great addition to this too. Cause he needed something like this, that coming out of, he feels reignited as well and continues the, the Cassidy story with this title reign. So, um, 
It, all four are down after a series of boots. Garcia uh, delivers a belt shot to Shibata, and the crowd is yelling, you're a wrestler. And Shibata and Orange Cassidy, they sit cross-legged in front of one another. They're slapping one another. And then Orange hits the orange punch with the bad hand. Zach is, uh, escapes a Shibata rear-naked choke using the European clutch, and Daniel Garcia makes the save. There's a PK to Garcia, but C- Cassidy uh, is then in and removes Shibata from the ring to steal the pin with a cradle. Afterwards, the three champions, which are um, Cassidy with the international title, Shibata uh, and Zach, they're all standing there with their respective championships and indicating like several potential directions that comes out of this. But they they did shake hands uh, in the end with uh, Cassidy and Shibata, the remaining two. Hmm. Yeah. So it does make you wonder what what further combination they can have, you know, with all three and their titles. I mean... I imagine Zach at, at, will put up his, you know, uh, TV championship or, or New Japan World Championship um, against one of the two. Have maybe, they done... maybe that's a post G1 type of direction you could incorporate Zach because I, I don't think he'd be available for a while. But Shibata and Garcia would seem likely for ROH. And then this Shibata Cassidy match could be anywhere uh, this this summer mm-hmm. if that seems to be the next big international championship match. Yeah, I thought this match was really excellent. I thought it was great at creating little chapters and excitement throughout. Um, it almost felt like, you know, this really interesting choreographed, like, four-way dance that felt different from, you know, anything else on the show. And everybody was able to have their standout moment or standout trait. Garcia, I thought, made a big impact based off of his sense of humor um, and and just kind of being a little bit of the, the butt end of the, of the joke, th- you know, throughout the match, but still, like, a, very entertaining um, for his dancing and, and whatnot. Shibata, I thought, for his stiffness, I mean... I, I've had several people remark to me afterwards that they still consider it such a novelty and such an amazing thing that they got to see Katsuyori Shibata wrestling live. And he's not just doing like pure rules, you know, like no back bumping type of wrestling here. He's going full on pretty much. And mm, obviously you hope every performer is cleared and, and completely okay to do it. But here he's, he got wrestled. He wrestled a full match on a new Japan show. So he finally got, got his little thing. Orange Cassidy, I think continues to sell the storyline tremendously. And Zach for his unbelievable speed and technical counter wrestling. There were moments and sequences here that were just like, wow, it was chess, but it was speed chess. And there's no, there's no better physical embodiment of, of speed chess than Zack Sabre. Yeah, I, I thought one of the best matches on the show was this four-way. Can't say the same about the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match where Sonata retained against Jack Perry. I thought this was going to be the sleeper match of the show. I thought they were just going to tear it up uh, with the two of them. Sonata was... I. I didn't sense the same kind of aura that a lot of the other Japanese stars had on this show, which I think does tell you... It's not a case of them not knowing Sonata because this is an audience that is clearly up on all New mm-hmm. Japan. I think it's just a realistic understanding of where Sonata is in terms of his level of star. Like this is not a guy that is at the the, the top level of the biggest Japanese. Like compare him to Kojima. And granted, Kojima was there with Punk. Um, but Sonata versus Punk would have garnered a pretty big reaction for Sonata, but. I know yeah. what you're saying. Like for for uh, Jack Perry, I think was was a strange choice. Um, like if you listen to Tony, 
what like he he wanted something big for Jack Perry and and, and obviously you know something to set up this post match angle on a big show. I completely understand, um, but it's not that attractive of a matchup. And I wouldn't say Sonata has been making that many waves as champion right now. He also doesn't necessarily have an in ring style that I think is as flashy as some of his you know uh, contemporaries in in New Japan. Yeah, I mean the most over baby face in the match was Red Shoes, followed by Hook. So the performers in the actual match were like third and fourth. And then um, Perry tried to apply the paradise lock onto Sonata, who stopped him. And Sonata, um, you know, it was like a decent back and forth, but I never felt like this ever got near like the second gear that you would expect for an IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match. Not to say this had the expectation of a sumo hall main event, but certainly on a pay-per-view, um, yeah, th- this one fell under the expectations for me. Like, Sonata won with a moonsault, and it was sort of just out of nowhere. Like, I wasn't even expecting this to be the finish because it just felt somewhat flat. And this match, it's going to be remembered for the post-match, which was Jungle Boy blasting Hook on the stage for the expected heel turn, although probably a lot earlier than everyone was expecting. Like, this mm-hmm. would be small seeds leading to the turn, but they they jumped ahead to execute that and he lifted up the FTW belt and left it. And then they cut to the uh, broadcast team and Taz takes the glasses off. And I can only imagine Taz was phenomenal reacting to this, to get the angle over uh, with hook. So I I do want to go back and uh, watch uh, Taz's part. So I I thought an underwhelming match. I thought so too. And, and if it wasn't a bad match, you know, it's not the type of thing where I'd be like, wow, this, this really dragged the card down. It didn't. It, no, it just it wasn't to the to the it's standard. A, it's a high standard that we're looking at this this show, and there were matches that met it, and matches that did not. I and again, I I had higher expectations for this than maybe most did. Like mm-hmm. I saw this as you know not the match that jumps off the page at you, but I thought this like if they get there fifteen minutes, this could be a hell of a match. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, I you know I don't know what it is, but it's just it's not the type of in ring combination that I think made for anything that special. But most people are going to be remembering this for the post match angle. Uh, I agree. I thought it was a bit soon, but you know the, this type of jungle bull, b- book turn or sorry jungle hook oh, turn. Yeah. Um, is Bogley one that, is still a baby face. That's right. Yes. Uh, the, everybody was expecting it anyway, so maybe just kind of get it over with so they could push to something for all in. You would think. Yeah, I would I would aim for something like this should be the summer program for the two of them. I just wish there was I mean, you do have a history with them. It's not as though they were just thrown together recently like you do mm-hmm. have that connection. I just don't think it was established enough that I thought you would spend part of the summer of these two having each other's back. But everyone like when you watched uh, Jack Perry's match with Doki on Rampage, like you could see the audience was all ready for the turn. And so was Jack Perry, who was very good in this match with Doki. But it did feel as though, you know, everyone is ready for the turn and they decided to get ahead of it with with this. And it was a huge reaction when it happened. Eddie Kingston, Tomohiro Ishii. The Young Bucks and Hangman Page against John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, Wheeler Yuta, Konosuke Takeshita, and Shota Umino in our 10-man tag. And uh, this was, I mean, the reactions were huge for all of the entrances here. Uh, Eddie Kingston got a superstar-level reaction, and... Mox came out to as a New Japan theme, which I think is a way better theme for a heel group than Wild Thing, but... You know, I like to I like today how like, you know, a lot of the guys who cross over like Kenny came out to their New Japan themes. Yes, it's worth noting. This was the first time that 
um, you know, all the relevant parties from the fallout of all out were under one roof together and uh, reportedly at separate spots in the arena. And it didn't sound like there was there were not any problems. And it doesn't sound like there were any interactions either from, you know, punk with the Bucks or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. um, they got through this. And I guess if that's a win, that's great it's it's i don't think it was ever going to be that big of an issue with them being on the same show i mean just for the sheer fact that like sports teams are in two different locker rooms and they design these buildings you know to keep people apart um but it's just kind of silly that we even we still even have to do that you know for a professional wrestling roster well, a lot of this was uh, focused on Moxley and Kingston. They had a showdown. The crowd is with Eddie, and they just had these back-and-forth chops. Eventually, all 10 get involved, and they're brawling. Um, dude, Tomohiro Ishii. Like, there have been times when you've seen him. Like he He's feeling the years, but my God, did he stand out in this match. And mm-hmm. here we are. And uh, like Ishii is going to be the man that, that time forgets and is just going to be, um, you know, Death, taxes, and Ishii come G1 season. He is, uh, he, he was like so over in this match, and it was booked for him to be one of the big stars of this match, like getting the the, the pinfall at the end of it. Um, I would love to see Claudio and Ishii together. They were a great combination in this. There were a lot of great combinations uh, throughout this. Uh, Takeshita ducked a BTE trigger, so the Bucks' uh, knees went into one another. Uh, Moxley then uh, eats super kicks by the Bucks. There was a giant swing on Matt Jackson, and eventually Moxley catches Kingston with a cutter. And then the Bucks double super kick Moxley. Yuta is in, and he ducks a buckshot lariat. But Ishii, he is the legal man, lands a sliding D onto Yuta, followed by the vertical drop brainbuster, and he pins Wheeler Yuta. So I would not have suspected Yuta taking the cover right after he got that big pin on Kenny Omega, and even Ishii being the one to get the win. So certainly these cards are balanced in a, you know, what is AEW getting? What is New Japan getting? I, I would state that that would probably give you a sense of, you know, Ishii is not just a you know, guy that is booked on these shows, like the fact that he is getting the the fall here. Obviously that was by design for a reason. And I could certainly see post G1 Ishii having uh, Danielson said like, that's the guy I want to work with next. It's Ishii. Right. Yeah. Which God knows what that match would um, <laughs> in, 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 include. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, like Ishii feels like such a um, staple of, of a new Japan roster that I, I don't know um, how much of an extended run we would be able to, um, I guess, you know, anticipate from him in AEW, but the occasional spot, uh, he's, he's somebody that, you know, like we saw on Wednesday, like you just simply announce him. And I think he gets a really good reaction from the audience and certainly in ring, but that's, you know, a guaranteed, you know, positive result. So, um, it could just be maybe a little bit of like, you know, political, like, Hey, you get this guy you winning. I get this guy winning that maybe just resulted in Ishii's keep taking the, the, the win here. But, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if if I, I personally look that deep into it, but I thought it was an excellent match. Eddie is incredibly over, which I would say he was the biggest baby face of the group, you know, consisting of Hangman Page and the Young Bucks. And that's saying something given Eddie at Kingston's recent lack of airtime. The fact that he manages to garner these immense reactions just no matter what. Um, so one key I, spot I, I missed was when the Bucks were going for the double super kick 
onto Moxley. Kingston dove in to save Moxley right. and ate the super kicks himself. And then Moxley hits the cutter to Kingston after that. So you mm-hmm. had Kingston sort of, he's at odds with Moxley, but in the line of fire, he still took the bullet from Moxley. And then Moxley did not do the same, hitting him with the cutter. So th- that would seem to be coming out of this um, sort, sort of Kingston and Moxley going into some kind of program. Although Kingston's not going to be available um during that, that G1. So um yeah. it, it's weird. Like in in another era, you would have Moxley do some big injury angle to write off Kingston. But I think with this audience, it's kind of insulting when you know the guy's not hurt. He's going off to do a tournament that I would not suspect them doing that kind of an angle. But it certainly that would be maybe a match for Chicago or even I mean again, you have all these big shows at the end of the summer, but Moxley and Kingston would be a big match. Moxley Kingston is just sort of like a, a a story that is going to be carrying on through the years. And all you really need for an audience is to kind of like show them these little chapters. And even if you have like, you know, two months between the something like this and the match itself, the audience will still be there for it. So they, they, they laid the necessary groundwork to really build up to a big match between the two, whether, whether at all in or all out. Um, I'll be. I'll say I, I didn't really love some of the more melodramatic like instances, like of of Kingston, you know, shoving Moxley out of the way for the super kick. And I usually I'm a huge fan of that sort of like storytelling stuff. But I don't know if it made a whole lot of sense here, given that like these two chopped each other for like five minutes straight, and then Kingston suddenly got a heart and decided to shove Moxley out of the way for the super kick. Maybe commentary was able to explain it a bit better, but I thought that was maybe a little bit of an overreach. That some incredible spots, though, including like the the ever and never ending uh, uh, chop fest between the two, um, as everybody else was doing their dives on the outside. There was great energy anytime Mox and Kingston were there together, but also great energy anytime. Hangman and the Bucks were doing their Hung Bucks, you know, three-way spots. Um, Takeshita, I also thought worked really well as a heel in this match. And I love seeing him paired with Tomohiro Ishii. Um, everybody, like, did really well, I thought. Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale for the AEW Women's Championship. There was a DVD to Storm on the edge of the apron. Uh, Saray and Ruby are in the corners, but that led to the big ejection spot. And Tony Storm hits the hip attack and won with the Storm Zero. And they showed Britt Baker watching in the back. She's got the match with Ruby Soho this coming Wednesday in the Owen Hart Cup. I thought, like, a fine match. It was, not, again, not one of the, the standouts on the show, but fine for the time they had. The audience was into Willow Nightingale. And the big focus afterwards when Tony Storm was on the press conference was about uh, Julia issuing the the challenge. And it looks like Julia and Willow Nightingale um, coming up on those uh, Independence Day shows next week. In Japan. In Japan, yes. The Corey yeah. Hall shows. Yeah. So. Um, I think likely title change, you know, and maybe that's how we get to Julia versus Mercedes, perhaps. Um, so it, Willow seems like she's got plenty going on, you know, between this tournament and, and just, I'm sure, everything else. that Like, this has been a really – it's been an unfortunate thing anytime a wrestler gets injured, but it's been a – like, Willow has stepped up to the plate, you know, not just on the night that she faced Mercedes and had to kind of go with that impromptu finish, but also um, she feels like a very good fitting champion here. So we, we got, you know, not just uh, her winning the, um, on collision, but also – um, getting an, um, I would say a pretty good, you know, title match here. It was at, at about the level that I expected. Hard hitting, good looking offense from both of them. Um, in terms of importance, maybe didn't feel as as high as some of the others. I still get, I'm still not a huge fan of like 
all the generic heel work from the outcast. Um, but I suppose it was effective, especially a baby against a baby face like Willow. Do you prefer their heel work in the body of a show or at a press conference? What are your preferences? Um, I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on. We'll all talk of that about the press well. conference after. I have lots of thoughts. Okay, so earlier this year. Uh, Way got me to climb the the CN Tower steps, and I had to really prepare, but not as much as I had to prepare, knowing I'd be doing note taking for Kenny Omega, Will Osprey, the rematch for the IWGP US Championship on Saturday, Sunday. So here we are. I mean, when this graphic came up, this place came unglued. What did you think of the placement way of the match in the end, third from the top? I think uh, by the end, it. I mean. It, uh, I understand why, um, you know, Tony like also has shown that he's not afraid to maybe stack the two big main events side by side too, but they decided to put Sting and, and Jericho, you know, that six man tag as a buffer match. Um, and so that resulted in this essentially being third from the top, but really second from the top if we're talking about, you know, main events. I thought it probably worked to the benefit of this match, but I would have ended the show with this. I felt that way going into it, knowing the type of athleticism and spectacle that these two would be able to to provide that. Uh, Danielson and Okada, even without Danielson's injury, would have been able to. Um, But, you know, whatever. Like, honestly, you can't go wrong. Both of them would have been very satisfying, but this was certainly the, the match of the show by a good mile. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, both of them out to their, you know, Osprey out to his old like aerial assassin theme and Omega out to his New Japan theme. So no battle cry. And I mean, this felt like a New Japan presentation in in many ways. Uh, Don Callis is out with Osprey with two masked uh, security members. This was coming off the angle on Wednesday where he would provide Osprey with security and you think this is leading to something and it went nowhere in the match. And I was not complaining about that. It was almost as though it was a decoy that you were going to get some involvement uh, from the identities of these two. But there was nothing. I wonder when Will Ospreay shows up next in AEW and whether or not we continue to see these, you know, assailants or, or security guards. Or maybe it's just somebody that will transfer over to, to Keshida and... You know, they didn't look to me like there anybody there's supposed to be anybody that we were going to recognize when they unmask, but maybe it's just a you know, just to have extra muscle. So early on, it's just each having the other figured out with not all these counters. A one-winged angel is teased very early, Oss Cutter is blocked, and then Don Callis gets involved, tripping Omega as he's going for the Terminator dive, and that leads to Callis being ejected by the referee, although would return later in the match. And some of the highlights included um, Kenny being draped on the top and a shooting star press from Osprey, followed by an Oss cutter onto the edge. And then Osprey takes the panel off the announcer's desk and starts ramming Kenny's head to it, sort of the opposite of the Wrestle Kingdom match, where it's the table that Kenny is ramming Osprey's head into. So um, then Osprey. Um, so after after the the headshots, uh, Omega is bleeding after after this, and then Will does his Shawn Michaels impression, taking the Canadian flag and rubbing his balls with it and mocking the Canadian flag. Spots that would be uh, a lot more hostile if it was uh, a Canadian doing to an American flag, but in Canada, I guess more uh, more more freedom to uh, desecrate the Canadian flag. 
we're a bit nicer. Maybe we don't ta- take our flags um, maybe as seriously as, as some other. We countries. give a lot of leeway to the, the heels. Mm-hmm. So then Omega makes his comeback, taking and choking, hanging Will Ospreay with the Canadian flag mm-hmm. over the top rope. And then uh, he busts Will's head open. So, 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 so uh, uh, attached to the whole flag thing was um, the little kid that apparently was flipping Osprey off in the front row. And so um, Osprey apparently improvised, or at least I, he, I doubt it was improvised. I mean, you know, this whole thing was, was so well done. Uh, but they ended up, Kenny ended up giving the flag to the little kid. And it made for a wonderful visual on screen. A, li- a lifetime patriot coming out of this. Yeah. child mm. so we got double blood after osprey's head is sent into the steps and then there's a ddt to will onto the steps as well which um for me the highlight was the reactions of these three individuals who were in the front row who were so animated there was a a guy with with uh sunglasses on uh, i think another guy had a post wrestling shirt on and then um <laughs> <laughs> We had uh, Robert Pearson, our man Neil, and Brandon from New Jersey front and center for so many of these. If you have not seen some of the highlights, uh, the best being Tanahashi high-fiving Brandon from New Jersey, like a meeting of the minds if there ever was one. Like, Think about the circumstances that would have to happen for this universe to put Brandon from New Jersey with Hiroshi Tanahashi in the same physical space and the two of them actually touching wonderful i think that you know it was just my highlight really of the entire show so will uh continues here we've got oh there was this great spot where uh kenny tries to go to the grappling department with a arm bar into a triangle arm bar and will gets out and he goes for the sharpshooter and then transitions to the cross face and this elicits chance of you sick fuck at Will Osprey, and there were some people that did, did not uh, appreciate the spot, especially given like the weekend uh, that this was. Um, but nonetheless, um, sorry, what the the well with the what? cross face? I mean this this was the weekend oh. that marks the um, anniversary mm-hmm. since if you can call it that of like the murder suicide as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he escapes like you know the two uh, Canadian spots here, for lack of a better term. And there's an os cutter attempt where Omega strikes him in midair with a knee, and then Will stops a Kreutz Wrath off the top, which was a spot that we got in the first match in January. Yes. After that, it's the cheeky Nando's kick. That was the spot in the first match where, where Kenny got his eye busted as well, and then a Sky Twister pressed to the floor. Callus returns and he shields Will Ospreay on the apron, but Kenny doesn't care. He still goes for the B trigger and Callus being the coward lets go of Ospreay. So he takes the brunt of it. And then it's, it was it the screwdriver that Callus handed to, to Ospreay. That yes. was the weapon. So mm-hmm. um, it's the callback to the, the heel turn with the screwdriver and he nails Kenny with it uh, to stop the one winged angel. And from there hits the hidden blade and the Stormbreaker, And everyone thinks it's over and Kenny's foot. It doesn't get onto the rope. It's literally touching the rope and this place goes nuts. So then Kenny it was, hits- it was such an incredible like foot on the ropes spot because you know they both have their ultimate finishers that nobody ever kicks out of in the stormbreaker and one winged angel at this point you know both finishers that have been protected so well through years 
And I thought they did such a great job with like, you know, teasing Callus and then having Callus come out that you just automatically think, okay, the moment we see an ultimate finisher, it's the end of the match. They did this so well and they positioned their body so incredibly well that like I was writing in my notes, uh, oh, okay, Stormbreaker match ends. And then I see looking up like Kenny's foot actually on the ropes and the match is actually continuing. It, It completely took this crowd to another level. Yeah, I mean, man, the, the, this ending was just unreal. So they go ex- insane for this this near fall, and then Kenny is on his knees, and he gets his wrists grabbed by Osprey, who drills Kenny with the Kamagoye, and then follows with his own one-winged angel. Kenny kicks out at one. This was, to me, the pop of the night this was the best spot that i'm going to remember from this match was this one count kick out and it was both like it was both like legitimate like belief in this baby face that this crowd had and also that this is continuing as well like it was so well done this one count kick out i just thought it was amazing and again you're talking about the one winged angel of which i believe only kota abushi has kicked out of Mm -hmm. um and nobody kicks out of it unless, of course, you're Kenny Omega himself. And not only can you kick out of it, you can kick out of it at, at one. Like this was very much like a Hulk Hogan type of like kickout spot, you know, um, like took me back to like WrestleMania 18 where it was something like a rock bottom. And then Hogan kicks out at one and he just it, it was a big Hulk up moment for Kenny that completely worked. Yeah. And, and much like Hogan would do with some of his bigger matches, uh, came back with a Kreutz Wrath. Onto uh, Will Osprey took a Tiger Driver ninety one. So that was what's probably going to be the most uh, focused upon spot of the entire match. It is the prelude to the finish as Osprey hits a Tiger Driver ninety one, and this was the most frightening thing I have seen in a long time, and one that I think a lot of people were uneasy with seeing. In and I just I'm watching this, and first of all, you're just like holding your breath uh, watching this and hoping this guy is okay. And then you're also thinking about like, listen, I I cannot just totally like dog the spot when these are two guys that are coming in the weight of the world of this wrestling world for not to be too dramatic is on their shoulders to follow this classic. And here's Kenny Omega. This is his contract year. He is going to sign a deal regardless of what he decides to do. It is millions, millions that this man is going to be, standing to make and he's doing a spot like this you know what i mean for a match that is already this classic um listen i can i can understand like the level to try and deliver the greatest match ever but man i don't ever want to see this it's Mm -hmm. it's too much for me the margin for error is like look at this and yeah listen it's um you know that's that's where the expectation level is and I just, I don't know. It to me is too far, but people are going to have different definitions of what is too far performers and fans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there's always going to be a constant chase for that memorable moment, that moment that everybody will be talking about. And, um, um, you know, in, in many in many professional wrestling matches, it's 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 moves where people have teased, you know, some form of head trauma, some form of paralysis, I suppose. Um, I, you know, without knowing the, the limits of the performer, it's hard for me to say, like, what should be acceptable and what's not. I don't even necessarily know, you know, how Kenny is feeling coming out of this. But this one looked really, 
really risky. Um, even more so than usual, you know, Tiger Driver 91s that we've seen from Masawa. Um, this was very, very scary. Um, but it's a rough man. year. What do 91. you mean? 91. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, it, it, you know, you asked Brian Danielson about it, whether or not this type of thing. Yeah, yeah he, he, he was definitely uneasy place. about watching the spot. But again, he he does not want he, he understands like it's this line that we tap dance around and he admitting like I did a lot of things that I would not do today when I was trying to get noticed. And uh, like his point, and I agreed with this was like, did this make the match that much better to me if this spot doesn't happen i'm having the exact same opinion of this match and i would argue that the one count kick out to me was the biggest um reaction of the entire match the entire show as well but again like you are these guys were literally in a spot where they were chasing perfection that many associate with that match in january it's like that's the level that they have and and then that becomes you know the larger issue is that when you have performers that are this driven what are those mechanisms in place to protect performers from themselves and that's where danielson mentioned the fact that you know when he has some ambitious plans he goes to the medical team ahead of time and runs things by him and they are very frank with him about what is doable what is not and encourages other guys to do that but there's many that are just going to you know, you you don't know what is across what what is crossing the line until you cross it, and sometimes that that can be a really scary outcome. But listen, we have uh, we, we have seen some awful outcomes in in matches. It does not appear that this was one of them. But again, you are just getting right to the limits of what, what the human body should be producing for entertainment's sake. It only leads to the two count and then a hidden blade stormbreaker combo keeps Kenny down and Will Ospreay regains the United States heavyweight championship. And the debate coming out of this match will be which Omega Osprey match is people's match of the year, because I think this is a one, two race for the remainder of the year and potentially a third match that, that comes with these two as well. But this was uh, an utter classic um, to me, one of the greatest matches you're going to see, I think just in the immediate aftermath of this. And I can honestly look at that as a real debate. I, I did rewatch the first match uh, this past weekend just to like refresh myself on it. And listen, I, you could go either way. I think both matches hold up in significant ways. This is the extension of the story, and this does seem to be the the setup for a third and final chapter, whether that's at Wembley or a date to be determined. But this was, um, uh, yeah, just an unbelievable, I, I think like an all-time classic when you're looking at uh, some of the greatest matches in the company's history and among the greatest matches these two have had and uh, individually in their careers, which think of the... Uh, the resumes that that entails, I think for both of these men, this is uh, among their greatest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're seeing like an all time trilogy plus, you know, series unfolding before our eyes. Um, and certainly this is now maybe posing the biggest threat to Okada and Omega as sort of like the default greatest rivalry is certainly in new japan pro wrestling history maybe in modern professional wrestling history um these matches are 
spectacular. They are physically completely impressive. I think they're incredibly inventive and creative, and they give you something memorable from pretty much every instance of the match. I loved all the stuff that they did with the flag throughout. Um, but it was this final 10-minute stretch, maybe even more than that. I don't know. Time kind of you know was hard for me to gauge because I was so in the moment watching this match. This but was a 40-minute match, by the way. Wow. Everything from like the point when Callus came in and, you know, wrestling audiences at that point kind of expecting a finish to be very near uh, and how they just played with that sort of tension throughout the rest of the, the remainder of the match with all their false finishes that I completely bit into like everyone um, was really incredible. Like you, it, it took you to a high and it just either kept you there or it escalated that high through just incredible action whether it be yeah maybe in the form of a head dropping move or maybe just in the in the very clever usage of both of their very well protected finishers in the stormbreaker and also in the one winged angel um everything clicked everything worked and it more than lived up to the expectations that we all had again debatable whether or not you felt this was better than the first one but the fact that they even lived up to it is remarkable and so the fact you can have that discussion is a win unfortunately it only raises expectations that much higher for number three and for these two to exceed even that so let's hope let's keep our expectations like you know maybe a little bit tempered um but would, God, would that like, seem the logical match for for wembley with these two I think if you're talking about the biggest stage, again, politically, I don't exactly know how they want to split these up. You know, does New Japan get one? Does AEW get one? And then does, you know, technically this is both of their shows. So maybe the next one is an AEW only show. All in would be the biggest possible stage other than the Tokyo Dome. But, you know, more people are going to be at, at Wembley than, than the Tokyo Dome um, for them to do a show this. So I, I certainly would hope so. You know, um, Osprey was asked at the press conference about whether or not he'd be performing on the show. And he says it's up to Tony Khan, but he would love to because it's 40 minutes down from, from his house. But I can't think of a better headlining match than Osprey versus Omega 3. Yes. Well, I'm glad Wembley's close by, uh, making it more convenient for for Will Osprey. Yeah, if it wasn't, he wouldn't do it. Like, uh, you're you're a different area code. It's uh, anyway. So yeah, uh, a classic classic match that people will be talking about for a long time, and especially at the end of the year, they'll be talking about it until number three comes along and maybe replaces it. Oh, this was so much better than that second yeah. one. That just like. <laughs> Uh, the most unenviable spot on the show, but it is the sting specialty of just put this man and he'll follow whatever. It was the Suzuki gods against sting Darby Allen and Tetsuya Naito. And this was stings first match in this building since facing Bret Hart in November of 1999, which to put into perspective was one month after Hiroshi Tanahashi's debut. And, I'm sure before some of the roster members on this, like, how old was was Billy Starks born? Uh, This was two years before Julia Hart was born. Okay. All right. So the big focus was on Sting and Jericho having their their first interaction in a match. Uh, There was a Scorpion Deathlock applied to Jericho. And then uh, after it's broken up, a triple sex gods pose with Jericho, Suzuki, and Guevara. Uh, Guevara... um, Man, he uh, he nearly killed Sting at one point. Then there was a, a one-man Spanish fly to Darby. Uh, Jericho brings out a table, and that would lead to a 6.30 spot by Guevara off the top to Sting on this table. Yeah, um, I think 
a lot of people saw this and suspected that Sting was supposed to get out of the way. Just he judging by, yeah, he did not. Just judging by the rest of this match and how Sting did not really sell this six thirty through a table at all. He just kind of got up and did his next spot. Um, either he, he was instantly in for the yeah the Scorpion Deathlock, um, and then Suzuki coming at him. Yeah, so man, <laughs> he's probably supposed to get up. Um, hope he wasn't hurt, and I hope Sammy wasn't hurt as a result. You know of, of this as well. They they mentioned in, in the press conference that what he had to go get checked in the, in the medical room. Don't know if it was a work or not because much of that uh, segment did feel we'll get to that. unfortunately like a work, but I hope nobody was seriously hurt from this. Yeah. So Sting is then um so so uh he gets he just uh, essentially uh, knocks down Suzuki in after escaping the choke, and it leads to Naito with the running jackknife cover and pins Suzuki, and then Jericho has the bat and goes after Naito. Sting stops Jericho with the bat as well. So obviously Jericho and Sting, this continues, and we'll talk about the press conference after, but this is going to lead to a follow-up on Wednesday in Hamilton with a tornado tag match with Jericho as his painmaker character teaming with Guevara against Sting and Darby Allen. So Sting is coming back in a couple of days after after this uh, with another match, which personally, like, listen, I, I didn't think this was one of the the all time big Sting matches that we've seen in this AEW run. But I do like when this guy gets like the big gap between matches because I I think he needs it. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, at the same time, I guess you wonder if, if, you know, the layoff makes it tougher for him to constantly get back into shape. So maybe they just, you know, felt like, OK, Sting, you're in ring shape. Let's just have you, you know, do one more match. Um, He's certainly thought, dialing back the whole retirement stuff at this point like that. Uh, like he made the comment about it, but like the original, the, the initial like uh, ideas of uh, people thinking like this could lead to Wembley. You're certainly not getting that expectation. Shut that down. Yeah, so it seems like he's – it sort of feels like when he was in TNA where it was always a one-year deal and then he'd be talked into continuing. And it seems like it's very similar now where it's, you know, Tony Khan wants to keep this guy going. And at the end of it, it's – Tony Khan yeah. is giving him the option to keep going. And yeah. and when you leave the option to, to a wrestler about whether or not they should retire, more often than not, they're going to be delaying their retirement. And I think we're seeing within Steve Borden, you know, uh, probably – it's probably really hard to walk away, especially when, like, I would say for the most part, his performances have been very welcome. They've been good. And um, he's getting these tremendous spots. Like, so I I can understand why Sting wouldn't retire, wouldn't want to retire. I mean, in two months time, you know, like he probably still feels like he's he has a whole lot left and he's not ready yet. Um, unfortunately, in these sort of cases, it might be take a really bad performance for you know him to fully realize that hey i should probably you know step out of the spotlight um this was unfortunate maybe if he was supposed to get off of that table and didn't did kind of affect things a little bit um but i thought there were still some very strong moments in the match simply uh with the with the pairings between the legends there is at one point where like i'm i'm looking at this this roster or at least like this match itself and seeing Staying in there with Tetsuya Naito and Chris Jericho and Minoru Suzuki, and I was like, "What? How did we get here? How did this happen? How did how did yeah. like wrestling put this into existence? You know, like just the amount of like um history and main events between those four alone, and you added start uh, Darby and, and Sammy Guevara as well. This was like a really strange like how did I get here type of like ex- existential type of match. Um, 
there was a lot of humor and personality between the heel team, Le Suzuki gods. Somehow, Minoru Suzuki fits in perfectly with He Chris was Jericho. so good with Jericho this week. I, I would love to see more. Like, he would be great as sort of like... <laughs> Jericho's new heavy you know what I mean like if he was here for an extended run like I just thought they gelled so well together and just I want to see skits I want to see like these two just hanging out I don't know what they're doing like you know I hope Jericho took took Bono Suzuki out to um I don't know Queen West or uh, where, where people, Yorkville or I don't know where people party these days in Toronto Richmond. Suzuki would definitely hit up Yorkville I think yeah maybe more around tiff season perhaps yeah the main event it is Kazuchika Okada and Brian Danielson. Awesome video just to set this up. And it's all built around who is the best. And um, we have the lights go down. And first, it's Okada coming out to the Rainmaker theme, which made Danielson really angry, which he would explain later. like Almost like a method actor in so, some ways, the way he described this, where he was explaining like he's in the back. And he said, like, he was already in a bad mood about something something going on that he wouldn't get into non-wrestling related. But then he hears the Rainmaker theme and the money dropping and everyone going crazy for the, the gaudy look of Okada. And he put himself in his younger self where he grew up poor. His dad never had money. And his dad's dream was to get to a white sandy beach. And he never could. And... It's making him angry to come out to this match against this guy who's being celebrated for wealth and consumption. And to me, that is a level that I don't know how many performers get into that level of headspace for a match as Danielson did here. That It was like a guy getting into character at the level of like a like deep method actor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure whatever you need to do to, you know, ramp it up and, and to add that extra little bit of aggression. Um, I believe he actually came out first. So Danielson. Are you sure? Yeah. Because he I think the well, money maybe then he was after. describing this in the ring. That yeah. He, he, he said like this was what was going through his head mm-hmm. during. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been because the way he explained in the press he, was he, then he, the music, his Europe theme hit. And then suddenly he was like brought into this other mood as well. Okay, well, I don't exactly know like the order of his own emotions, but Brian did come out first. Okay, well, he came out uh, to Europe. Mm-hmm. The final countdown. Yeah, he Danielson uh, said he has not listened to since 2009 when he left Ring of Honor. One of the biggest reactions of the night, actually. You know, one of the the, the moments of I think genuine shock from you know certainly me sitting with the mod and, and wh all looking at each other like wow like tony khan did it i think at this point we kind of all know that it's a very expensive song uh tony has alluded to you know for them to purchase um and it's a one-time only thing at least tonight um but they do have the rights so that all the replays will have this on it yeah yeah but it, it made for an incredibly special moment and one that i'm sure spoke to you know anybody who might have seen a bit of his roh run but even if you didn't like it's just a, like such a classic banger of a song very much you know like you know here in kansas for the young bucks so a wonderful little moment that apparently costs as much as a wrestler's contract <laughs> yeah this uh apparently did not come cheap so they start, I mean, some of the highlights include Okada doing his dive over the rail and he's going for the Rainmaker, but instead uh, has to land a drop kick after missing with the Rainmaker. And Okada um, blocks a dive to the floor and tries a Rainmaker on the floor, which is ducked. And, and Danielson hits the Busaiku knee and then takes a tombstone by Okada on the ramp. 
throws him into the ring and then comes off the top with an elbow drop. And apparently Danielson's arm was out. He said the arm was in an unsafe place. And that's where this injury occurs, where Danielson believes he broke his right forearm. And this was, you know, less than an hour after the match that he's describing this. So maybe he's in a sling as well in the press. Oh, it it was all like the entire arm was in a, like a brace mm-hmm. and he's thinking that the early prognosis is this will be a six to eight week injury for him but again uh, like once he gets it fully checked out we will see what the exact um, injury and timeline is going to be but if you thought this was just phenomenal selling by Danielson no his his right arm was completely compromised and he had to think on the fly here and it, he said one of the things like just he needed something and thus he did the yes chant with the one arm that he could because he needed to get the crowd into it as you know he didn't get into specifics but it did affect the final 10 minutes of the match and changing things around he was obviously going to go over but how they got there was changed based off this injury and what he was limited to so um he stomps the head of okada does the yes chant and then he's hit by a drop kick Okada lands a rainmaker and Danielson kicks out at two and then moves to the label lock and then hyper extends the arms into this uh into a the submission and this totally caught this crowd by surprise when Okada taps the first time he's tapped since 2015 in the G1 with Nakamura and like this crowd exploded for this finish because of the uniqueness of Okada tapping and using a submission that I don't think people were naturally trained to expect, but I liked the way the match ended with um, the kind of the Danielson story of like where he would win the match in all these different ways that we saw last year. And then he has all these different tools at his um, expense. So not even realizing the injury, I, I thought, I thought this was an outstanding main event. Um, this was my second match on, on the show this in the four-way i thought were were comparable matches but what did you think overall well first of all like um i was watching the match noticing the arm cell and i mean this being brian danielson you just oh you know first your first thought is wow this brian's doing a really good job selling selling his arm but i also wondered like did i miss the spot where like okada was specifically targeting the arm that led to this um I also like had some somebody mentioned to me that it might have been the seizure cell that he was like, yeah, you know, which he did midway through the match and the trainer had to come in and check on him like like did that somehow result in some sort of like arm paralysis. Um, and 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 it, that would have made sense, I suppose, too, you know, from a Brian Danielson type of like creative selling <laughs> biological perspective. But it, it turned out to be a bit more just kind of practical and and, 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 and real real than, than that. And I think that completely should recolor my opinion of the match. You know, that now becomes the story of the match. The fact that Brian Danielson in the main event of one of the most, you know, stacked lineups in, in the history of, I would say, professional wrestling had to basically improvise or at least wrestle the last 10 minutes of this match with a broken arm. Um I thought the finish was very surprising and in a great way because, you know, um, I first of all didn't expect Danielson to win. I think Okada is just so protected, especially going into, you know, the G1 that I, whereas Danielson has pretty much kind of lost a whole lot that I expected Danielson to lose. So for that alone, I was surprised. Um, The content of the match alone, I'll say like watching it, I don't know if it was maybe the length of time or the fact that it was trying to follow something like Omega versus Osprey in terms of spectacle. I couldn't really get into to a good chunk of, of the match, you know, until until maybe closer to the end. And I think a part of that is just the Okada 
main event style as well. A bit of it is a Danielson main event style as well, where I think Okada is best paired with somebody spectacular like an Osprey or like an Omega to kind of like really make some of those early moments special. Danielson is a much more methodical, you know, type type of uh, pro wrestler. And, and, and both of them are more like, you know, simmering types of wrestlers. And you can only imagine the, the run up to the finish that was originally planned between these two and how that was going to look. Um, so I wasn't maybe as into this one as certainly, you know, Osprey Omega, but, you know, maybe even not as much as like I was expecting myself. But I also think it's probably a match I would have enjoyed more maybe watching on commentary or, or watching on television and noticing a lot more of the subtleties. So, again, um, it's one everything... I definitely want to rewatch. I'm, and uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a lot live. I thought it was a very different match from Osprey and Omega. But I, I just thought like the just the story that they had of the, sort of like teasing the Rainmakers and Danielson sort of, uh, you know, having to overcome this injury at the end that even in, in if you're watching it as sort of a, a thinking it's a storyline injury, it's like he's still so good um, at coming up with, you know, interesting ideas that the idea of Danielson going down the stretch without the use of his arm, you could totally see that in a Danielson playbook. And that's like, he has so much leeway that you, suspect like something that's so out of the norm is completely normal for a Danielson match that he would of course think about something like this whereas I don't think too many people are thinking at like the level he is on some level, I think he might have appreciated the creative challenge of being put in that stressful situation on live television and having to come up with something satisfying with that handicap um he kind of alluded to it in 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 um in the press conference where he said like he's you know, he takes a lot of pride in, uh, you know, sometimes situations like these where you're kind of your back is pressed up against the wall and you have to like he was it's something to the effect of like, would you change anything about this match? And like he kind of said, like the injury to something to the effect of like the injury kind of made this more special to him. And so that's just kind of the mind of, of, of Brian Danielson. So there you have it. That was Forbidden Door. After the show, Danielson did give uh, a total babyface speech to the live crowd in Toronto, just thanking them for being such an awesome crowd for five hours and, you know, stating this might be like the best crowd I've ever been in front of and just thanking everybody. Like it was just a total, like it was not Danielson as the the leader mm-hmm. of the BCC. This was just Brian Danielson, who was you know, very appreciative of this match. And again, we're watching this and not realizing like the extent of his arm injury. But I mean, he must have just been, you know, at, at the same point, you know, you're hurt and that can be a downer. But I think he was just coming off such a high of I got through it and probably a ton of adrenaline too. that. Hey, we pulled it off and think of the expectation of you like he watched Omega and Osprey and knows what he's following and has to follow. And this was a guy that, you know, famously would be as your ROH champion. He would sit down. He would watch the entire card before he would have to go out and follow some of those shows. And, I mean, that tells you, like, the level of a veteran that he is that, you know, in these 10 minutes, how many guys would have just um, panicked and gone to a finish or it would have just been a jumbled mess. And here it was. Okay, I'm in the main event of a pay-per-view. I don't have the use of my arm. I have... uh, I have 24 years of experience of wrestling in every situation possible. What do I have to work with without an arm? Yeah. And I have the S chain, which I'm sure he was very grateful for. Yes. Which it sounded like he begrudgingly leaned on um, yeah. that 
is not in his repertoire the, these days. But excellent show and just a, a tremendous, tremendous event to uh, witness. And one of the, I think, contenders certainly for match of the year, which I think after January 4th, everyone thought was sewn up. But the two people who were responsible for that match are in competition with themselves. I think those are the one, two matches of the year so far. And we still have a lot to go this year. I mean, it's, we could it's get number three. Up. You could yeah. get a third and you've got a G1 coming up and uh, God knows what other else you have, but a, a total thumbs up show. And I think at, at the very sort of, if, if you're coming out of this in terms of just a, a understanding of where the industry is today, I think last year was a major lesson for people just in terms of, you know, how niche is new Japan, how niche is like, you know, all of the critiques that came into Forbidden Door last year, it overwhelmed people, I think, by how well it did. And this year, to me, it was that times many more that mm. this is like the state of the industry today. This is not pandering to a small minority of online fans. No, this is where the industry is these days. And this can fill a major arena that are up on all of your stories. And you're either up to speed with the state of the art or you're behind the eight ball and not understanding what your audience is craving. And I spoke about this a little bit in the Q and a, but I do feel that one of the benefits that AEW has with a lot of like younger people in these positions from a Tony Khan on down is that you have people that are not as removed, not far removed from being paying fans themselves that know what appealed to them to spend money on a product. And in other companies, like you have people that have been not a blanket statement, but for a lot, it's people that have been in this their entire adult lives that came up as fans in a totally different era. And experience can both benefit you in the sense that you have seen it all, you've done it all, but you also can get very entrenched in your ways of what works and what doesn't work. And this is an industry that is constantly changing and something that didn't connect in one era can be completely different. And it has to be your job to be able to understand that this is a constant rotating sun, that Mm -hmm. it is constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. And you want to just be able to be up to speed and the very best to kind of be slightly ahead to know what is coming to with the industry. Certainly. Yeah. I think, you know, Tony Khan for all of his um, faults, perhaps as somebody that, um, you know, maybe is sometimes rightfully criticized for not uh, letting a casual viewer in uh, as much as he could uh, with some of his television production styles. Um, I, I think he also should be applauded uh, for how much he caters to the hardcores. I mean, here's a billionaire son who um, I, I guess is a billionaire himself that is willing to use all of his resources to cater towards fans that are used to having to go through really, really difficult means to just consume some of this stuff i mean it wasn't that long ago where like you know there was no japanese commentary on a new japan pro wrestling service or there was no new japan world at all um and now here's a guy who you know decided to form a company very much based off of i think the the type of style and success that new japan bred um and now has included you know so much of of that uh, of, of its roster into one of these main shows and it's just completely showing that the hardcore fan base is completely massive. Not only can it sustain an entire company, um, but you know, it's, 
I don't even think we've really seen the limits yet. You know, even Wembley, look at that. Like, so this was a, a great show. Uh, absolutely. And I think it shows that uh, this is a winning concept and that the new Japan brand still has a lot of life left in it. Uh, certainly the type of star power you have in Okada and Tanahashi, even in a Naito uh, and a Will Ospreay, you know, those, those are still incredibly like big figures. And you, when you mix them with, Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson and CM Punk. Um, these are massive sort of like dream level shows. So we'll see how they top it next year. Yeah. Let's just quickly go over the press conference. I won't go into like too much in it, but the just going in order, the first guests were uh, Sting and Darby Allen and just talking a bit about uh, Sting's longevity, the, the retirement question and sort of just going like match by match at this point. And you know, he believed like there was a period um, a few years ago that he wasn't happy with his performances and where things were going. But I mean, I think generally, I think the sentiment has been very positive towards Sting in this AEW run as, as a whole. Um, this was the setup for an angle where Jericho uh, crashed the press conference, came in with the bat. And this leads to the tornado tag match set up for Wednesday's dynamite. Now there was a really um, just an uncalled for issue where Jericho, who I'm sure was just like acting in the moment, but he took one of the water bottles and nailed it with his bat towards the members of the media and actually hit a guy in the face um, who was bleeding from this. And I just felt like, listen, I I'm not a fan of running angles during these press conferences. That's my own preference, but I understand that they do use these press conferences as extensions of their shows at times. To me, there's, there's no reason that like these media members, like we are not performers. We are not taking part in angles. There should not be anyone that is leaving injured from attacking, from attending a press conference. Like there is to me, I understand this is pro wrestling, there is a level of professionalism that I think needs to be exercised. And I was, I was actually pretty upset during the press conference uh, seeing this happen. And uh, I like, I did check on the individual and like, he appeared to be okay, but he was taken away. Right. They did take him outside momentarily to be checked on for like 10 minutes or so. And then he came back and I'm out of respect to him. I'm not um, sharing his name. Cause I, I don't know if he, anyway, um, the fact is like, uh, a guy was injured here and it was just totally uncalled for. And it's just that to me is where I, I, these press conferences, like, what are they to me? Like, this is like, you're shooting angles and now it's like, people are getting like injured here. They're just here to do their job. Okay. And that's um, to me, I, I was very upset uh, over this happening. And I hope it was a, a lesson for them that uh, I, don't Can you imagine it. if it was like a New York Times reporter? I, I like seriously, like if this happened, uh, it wouldn't happen elsewhere. And professional wrestling, it's like this weird area. And these press conferences are this weird amalgamation of content that AEW is producing and trying to be uh, like a transparent dialogue with your members of the media. And I think it gets very tricky when you're trying to do this. And listen, I will I will sit through the in-character responses, I get it. I know what I'm attending, but uh, to me, this is not what people are signing up for, and it's just totally needless, and I yeah. get it. Jericho's playing a heel. He's in the moment. I don't think he came in with this plan, uh, but nonetheless, you put this performer as the performer in this situation. Like, it's 
if you are ringside and you get struck, you somewhat understand that you are in the midst of the performance. You are in the crowd and there is a chance that a dive that you could get struck, much like you could get hit by a foul ball at a Jays game. Mm-hmm. It is not ex- expected that if you were at a press conference after a Jays game, that a player would come in and just uh, go to town uh, doing BP on the media. You know what I mean? It's just, I just thought it was, this was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it Rant sounded over. ridiculous when you, when you described it to me afterwards, um, you know, professional wrestling is a very strange thing. Um especially when you try to apply I think real journalistic standards to it um it's 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 so weird like it really really is you know and sometimes we're in the bubble we don't realize it but when you try to look at it through you know the standards of a professional journalist going to one of these things you realize just how inadequate it feels um, how there's, you know, even the, the discourse amongst its, its own performers, there's no real agreement about whether or not somebody should be speaking as themselves or speaking completely in character, as you got to see in this press conference where felt very much Will Ospreay was completely out of character. But then you, you it's followed up, up by somebody like a Tony Storm who's completely just kind of cutting promos. Uh, but beyond that, getting angles. Listen, like I, I know that they're doing all of these kind of like for the audience and the goal of professional wrestling is to create moments that are believable uh even though they're fictitious they're trying to you're trying to create yourself story within like a real environment and there's very few environments more real than a press conference with real journalists so i understand the temptation to do something like that um but i also think they need a real check on what journalistic standards are and what professionalism is and i think that the wrestling media could really use that lesson too i mean a lot of us even personally speaking we don't necessarily come from like you know journalistic training and and so a lot of this is just like fan media where a lot of people are picking things up on their own they don't exactly know that there are rules attached to whether or not you should be cheering in a media section or not um and i don't know if you know AEW expects your they're 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 journalists to to you know live up to those standards either and and that thus you get these sort of weird amalgamations of both show and also press conference um no excuse though for you know i'm sure jericho feels really bad too about you know hurting i don't know i i'm sure I'm, it, that, no excuse for getting somebody physically involved um especially in one of these press conferences though beyond that um so Will Ospreay came out. Um, he talked just – he really wants a match with uh, you know, Michi Marafuji, he mentioned. Um, hopes to be on the all-in card, but you know they reiterated he doesn't work for AEW. He works for New Japan. But you could certainly get the sense. Like he, he felt the pressure of this match and seemed like he came out of it and it was a win. Like they, they achieved what they set out to do and had one of the greatest matches that they could possibly have on, on this given night. Um, Tony Storm was out and, you know, it was, you know, that that's, you knew at double or nothing like this is Tony Storm approaches this where she is fully in character, which I mean, it didn't prevent questions from still being thrown at her in character. Um, but again, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Oh, it's like in Japan, people stay in character for these things. Brian Danielson was excellent. I think he's great on all of these press conferences. I, I think in another role, he could host these things. I think he's just so well uh, he's just he should be on the on the media calls instead of Tony. Probably. He is great. I mean, uh, the detriment would be I think he's too honest probably at, at, at times. So um, if it, 
great for um, if you're covering this to get that level of honesty from an individual. But yeah, he, you know, I asked him about the the Tiger Driver 91 spot, and he certainly had his his reservations about that. But understands like the the divide that you know I'd be a hypocrite here to can uh, to you know to criticize when I did a lot of things to get noticed. But you know, at at this point, it. Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay are not trying to get noticed, but they are trying to deliver something that is going to be remembered forever. And this is an era where it's very hard to do things that are memorable, but it's, it's that line again, that where, how, how close to the sun are we getting? And thankfully it didn't seem like there was anything uh, drastic that came out of this, but you wouldn't be stunned either. If like there was something awful that, that occurred when you're, when you're tempting fate to that degree to have mm-hmm. that great match. Um, and then Tony Khan, I mean, in his uh, portion, it was about a half hour and he spoke about a lot about uh, forbidden door. And just the lead up to this, it was their, their biggest gate. It would be the third highest gate in the history of pro wrestling in Canada behind the two WrestleManias. And now the focus becomes on all in he stated that again, there's no hard brand split. So CM Punk could appear wherever, but um, you know, cause I did ask him about like the, the collision line that, that Punk used if, you know, he is advertised as now just for collision dates, but Tony is obviously not, um, he's not cornering himself to state that he is just going to be on collision. If they need him on dynamite, they can put him on dynamite and they're not going to create a situation where they're violating something that they had stated. But um, did you get to see any of the press conference? Yeah, I saw most of it. Yeah. Was there anything that uh, jumped out at you from any of the subjects? Um, I, 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 I wasn't taking notes while, while I was watching it this morning over my cereal. Um, but I thought it was, you know, just pretty standard, typical. I don't think there was anything that you, we didn't already cover. Well, on that note, um, you did throw out the, uh, the call for anyone to uh, join us if yeah. they would like to share their thoughts. So we have uh, an individual that did join us at the Forbidden Poor. Yeah, so uh, look up in your uh, patron mailboxes or uh, post-wrestling um, membership tabs on the YouTube side of things. And if you want to get call in, get your thoughts in as well. But first, I actually want to go to a super chat, a few super chats here that uh, were sent to us live here at youtube.com slash post-wrestling. And we first go to Hernice De La Cruz, who sends $5. Thank you very much. And also for being a member here at our YouTube channel. He says, 12 a.m. ending was a bit much, but by far the best pay-per-view I have ever seen. Hope you guys get some rest after tonight's show. Well, thank you. I'm very much looking forward to not doing any recording tomorrow. Um, and that'll be, of course, after tonight's Rewind to Raw. Let's go up next to Killer Kurt 6 who sends $5. Thank you for the support, Killer Kurt. He says, I was in the building for DIY versus FTR and Omega versus Osprey, two of the best matches in Scotiabank Arena history. Tonight's match was pro wrestling at its finest. Would you say the best match in Scotiabank Arena history? Oh, Omega and Osprey, yes, yes. I, I, you know, with respect to DIY and Revival, I, I thought this would would be a clear number one. We got a Jake from the Windy City. Thank you for the support, as always, Jake. He says this hasn't been talked about much, but do you see New Japan and AEW co-hosting an event in Japan itself soon? You'd figure New Japan Pro Wrestling would like something in return. I think that with New Japan, I, I don't know if this was necessarily like this. To me, is a it's it's a bigger show for the North American market than it is in Japan. And I feel that 
I think for maximum profitability, this should be a, a U.S. or Canada-based event rather than um, staging this at like a Budokan Hall or a Sumo Hall in Japan. I just think like it's they they are not doing a, a million dollar gate in Japan for this um, yeah. th- this level of event. That um, for for New Japan, I think it's the ability that this is great for New Japan. Like they share in the success of this show. It is. A better promotion for them than anything that they're going to have through the access deal and they also get new japan talent funneled throughout the year over to to get uh, to go over there so i think it's overall a relationship that's been very beneficial for for both sides but i i would not be looking at japan for the next forbidden door show i would keep this in, in the u.s i get the sense the new japan brand needs more to an american audience than perhaps the AEW brand means to a japanese audience you know and, I think so. and, and if there's a, a better way to perhaps use names like brian danielson or john moxley it would be under a new japan brand branded show like like a dominion or or you know a Russell kingdom than to strictly promote something that's like a crossover show like a forbidden door um it would also drastically impact pay-per-view sales if it was airing live from Japan at, uh, mm. you know, a, a 3 a.m. time slot as well. Like this is just it's this event has established itself. You could make the argument this is this is now after two years established itself as the biggest pay-per-view of the year for AEW. Like I think this is mm-hmm. if you want to pick out your one uh, of all the pay-per-views to me, it's like Forbidden Door is establishing itself as the big pay-per-view of the year for the company uh, on a year that doesn't have an all-in like we have this year yeah which which does surprise me john you know just considering like half this roster is not on regular tv like it, 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 we're just kind of like still coming off the the, the star power uh, uh from i don't know people's new japan subscriptions or maybe even a pre AEW era where you you hear a name like okada you hear a name like naito or hear, hear a name like tanahashi and there's this still this special quality attached to all those names uh, that doesn't require television time. So it's kind of remarkable. And that was another note that Tony Khan did make that at least the early indications, like this is a, this is ahead of double or nothing. And it's ahead of forbidden door from last year, which would mean topping 140,000 buys as well. Wow. All right. Uh, one last super chat comes to us from Paul Dominic DeMarco. Thank you, Paul. He says no destroyers tonight and Mox didn't bleed. Whoa. You're right. Yeah, we we did not see any of those uh, representations on on the show. Wait right. till Wednesday. Yeah, I'm sure he'll 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 bleed a gusher. He's get, he's got to save up that plasma for next week when he goes to Corakuen Hall for uh, Desperado and uh, the the Junkasai tag when he's with Homicide. That's it. Uh, thank you guys for your super chats. Let's go up next to our calls. Hanzi, it was nice to see you this weekend. Yeah, man, it was. Uh... It was really cool to see you guys, man. Uh, I had a really good time with, uh, you know, uh, I didn't think I'd get a handsy champ, but it was pretty cool, man. I, th- I think I was, the, I was the only one that asked uh, a question about 90210 for, for some reason. I, I probably suggested I ask a question. I go, okay, you know what? I'm just going to ask all these wrestling questions. I'm just going to just throw a random one there. But uh, I'm glad to see all you guys. I, I met, like, you know, everyone from the post-wrestling family, like Phil, um, you know, I didn't know how tall Bruce Lord was. Holy crap, man! I, I, it, was, it, was, it was amazing, and I, I, I met Brandon finally. Um, you know, it, it was good, man. I, I really enjoyed that you guys uh, had the event, man. It was nice well, to see you, and I, I, and I think it was nice for the audience to be able to see you as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, as far as the show goes, man, I, I thought uh, 
probably I, again. I, I haven't been to like every single. I, I know you guys have been to like all these manias and all that kind of stuff, right? So I haven't been to like like any manias, but I think this may have been like the best wrestling pay per view show that I've been to. And I, I, I it, the thing is, it, it it does get exhausting. I was only hoping for like one match in the zero hour, but like it just everything because by the time the 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 the, the night was done, I was like already like almost passed out. But like I can't say that like. I regret anything because Osprey and Omega was probably obviously the match of the night. Um, even though I knew Brian and Okada wasn't going to match it, like it, I thought it would be a second best match. But I, but I, I can't believe I was actually in the building for the final countdown. Cause I've been waiting for that for so long, and when I when, I, when it came out, man, I was like, I was I was like singing along all the time. You know what I mean? But I thought it was really good. Um, the 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 main thing that I'm looking forward to from. Uh, from the show, are uh, the Jungle Boy follow? I thought that was a good angle. I didn't really think the match was that great, but I really do hope. I really do hope that uh, Kingston and Mox do get a because again, like their first feud in the AW was really good. The only downside about that it was uh, during the pandemic where there was like no crowd reaction, but their promos were really really good. And now that those crowds back, and these guys could probably do a compelling angle with their feud because uh, there'll be like the crowd will be invested into it. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. So a lot of things that I'm looking forward to afterwards between like maybe the, do, and before I go, do you guys, um, if they do Brian versus Okada again, because that looks like it's building for like a potential part two. Do you guys think that happens at all in, or do you guys think they'll say that for Wrestle Kingdom? And I'll take the, uh, your comments off the air, but again, guys, thanks for the good weekend. You made my, uh, um, you know, my life more enjoyable. So I, I, I praise you guys and uh, all the success to you guys in the world. Peace out. Thanks, Hansi. Thank you, Hansi. Brian I don't O'Connor. see that being the all-in match. My, my, my thought. I'm, I'm definitely not um, throwing out the possibility of this Nigel match because there was a spot in the press conference where one of the people asking the questions was about um, there being. T- it was something about like there are some great British wrestlers um, in AEW and you had Danielson with the response, like who? And you thought he was getting set up for like, he thought that the person was going to refer to Nigel as one of them. Because if you remember the last press conference, like he just so dismissed it in a way that felt like they are building towards something that Mm. again, I just, I could, I could see that being a possibility and um, with Nigel coming out of retirement for that. I love the idea of Danielson and Okada. If you're going to do the rematch, which given the nature of the submission, I think you have Okada wanting that rematch. That could be a Wrestle Kingdom match I could see um, yeah. for, for sure. That's That would be where I would aim for that rather than all in. Makes sense to me, you know, that it would be something like that. Um, or, you know, just another New Japan Big Show. Um, I, 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 Yeah, all in doesn't necessarily feel like it. You know, I, I don't know. It's It's hard to say. But I would think that New Japan would probably want that one on home soil for that. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Hansi, for the call. Let's go uh, to two more calls, and uh, we ask our remaining callers to maybe be respectful for time as we are past the two-hour mark on the show. Let's go up next to Andy B. How's it going? Uh, guys, um, I just wanted to quickly uh, make a comment on this show. I thought Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay might have been the best match I've ever seen. A little bit of recency bias. I don't expect to see anything that good for a long time. But I didn't think this show was as good as last year's. I thought last year's Forbidden Door was my show of the year. I don't think we got to those standards just this year because I really enjoyed the BCC Elite match and um, Osprey uh, Omega. 
but I thought everything else was a little bit up and down. So for me, Mania Night One still my show of the year. What did you guys think? Hard to hard to judge directly right now. I mean, I even I'm the type that has to be reminded of what exactly happened, you know, uh, at Mania One and how I felt in those particular moments. Um, um, I, I think those are the probably the top two contenders though right now for a lot of people between like you know shows of the year. Um, the, certainly the spectacle of Mania is hard to contend with, but man, in ring. Wrestle Kingdom would be in there. I thought Revolution was an excellent show this year. Like you, you, you do have some really solid contenders. Th- this one would be in the mix. I don't know if this is your slam dunk for show of the year. I think it, um, it certainly the uh, match of the year. I could certainly see going to this show. Um, but even that, I, I think between the two Osprey Omega matches, you're going to have that debate. Yeah. And as I wanted to quickly um, <clears throat> throw this um, question at you, so we're almost at the halfway point of the year. And, um, you know, so, and we've um, got AEW getting on a roll now with CM Punk coming back. And um, you guys were discussing that there's something he's indicating that this could be his final big contribution to the company, at least on a full-time basis. Do you think him putting over MJF is going to be, should be like some sort of grand gesture wherein it's like an ultimate passing of the torch and him sort of like riding off into the sunset for some time? Or do you think it's a match they get to the next four or five months. Thanks, Andy. I think it's something that they could, like, like to me, um, not knowing all the directions of what, where they're going, to me, if I'm coming back with All Out in Chicago at the United Center, it's Punk going for the title. Um, I don't see a, a stipulation like it's like title versus career. Um, but y- you certainly have to look at Punk. Like, what is what is his short and long-term goals when it comes to pro wrestling like i could see this being something where like does he have another contract in him that he is looking at or is he looking at finishing up his time which again we don't even know how much time is on his deal now and how the last nine ten months affect that uh that length on his deal um that he had signed in 2021 um but yeah like certainly he has never explicitly stated that, but you certainly did get the vibe of going in like with the SPN interview that, you know, I, I still have work to be done. And the fact that he did have thoughts over these last 10 months of whether he comes back or not. So you could certainly see, but again, like the sting example, once you start to really see that, that end of the line, perhaps you're not so sure once you get close to that being a reality. And if your body's holding up, you want to keep going. Um, that's that's how these performers are, are going to think. As long as I'm performing at a level I'm happy with, why would I end that? And uh, Punk, it's remains to be seen. But I I would think that MJF match would be something you want to get to sooner rather than later. I think that that would be an ideal match for Chicago Labor Day weekend. You want it for the the championship, and how long is this MJF title reign going to last? You know, yeah. Um, you would think like for the payoff, it's going down to the wire about the end of this year and whether he stays or takes the title and the the title being like held hostage by MJF. Although they certainly are not pushing that as hard, nor do they have to at this point of the year. Let's go up next to Mr. Kane. Hey, Mr. Kane. Hey guys, how are you? Good. We're good. Uh, Well, just to make it really short here, it's an incredible pay-per-view. It was incredible. It was incredible from top to bottom. Um, I really like that MJF Tanahashi match. I think, especially that rope break by uh, with, with the Bryce rope break, that was uh, made me pop pop out loud. I was laughing. 
Um, I really, I really came out of uh, seeing that Danielson and Okada match. I was worried. I was, I was, I was really worried that that you know he was he was uh, seriously like you know seriously in a bad way. And um, I know some people found it in poor taste. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, when you know, especially with this media scrum, seeing them all, in, you know, in great spirits, it 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 really helped. Uh, it really helped make me feel, you know, reassured. Okay, sometimes we're going to have these. We're going to have these ruses. We're going to have these moments. And I know it's 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 uh, you're really playing uh, too close to the fire there. But uh, end of the day, it is pro wrestling. Uh, and about that scrum, uh, I think I know there's not a lot of newsworthy stuff coming out of there. But that's the kind of stuff I wanted to see when it comes from a scrum, especially from Osprey and Danielson. Man, they they just they're this their genuine feelings towards their performance and how they how how they conducted themselves in the ring and 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 the come down and just the the thought behind it that's that's more insightful to me than you know and and I I just I would like to see more of that uh then it's than a different whatever. dimension to to the individuals like I think Tony Storm could get so much more out of approaching and I'm not trying to single her out either like there's plenty of examples right. that I think you like Danielson is technically a heel on television but he doesn't have to play this persona and to me it just it gives a depth it's an understanding of okay we're all on the same page here I play this performer but these are my real thoughts about the performance I just put on that I just think in the long term it endears you to your audience it gives you a greater respect for what you have just seen and I think more performers could take advantage of this versus a straight line of consistency from what you saw on screen and this press conference is merely an extension of that that i'm not getting any more depth than what i could get on a wednesday or saturday night from that performer so i think it's incumbent on the performers to understand there's a value for themselves in these kinds of media situations as well that some are not going to be as comfortable doing but i think there's great value to it Thank you for the call, Mr. Kane. Let's go to one last super chat from Rory, who says, guys, the FOMO was real. Looking at both the Forbidden Poor and Door, an incredible, incredible night of amazing matches and huge, huge buzz. I'll be at all in. Let's go. Oh, wow. That's a long trip. It sounds like for you, Rory, from Australia. So enjoy that. And uh, thank you for the uh, kind super chat. Let's go to a few pieces of feedback. We are running very late, so we're only going to get to about maybe three people. So, But if you want to read everybody's thoughts, go to forum.postwrestling.com where we have our feedback thread to Forbidden Door. Do you want to start us off, John? Yeah, I'm going to go to Andrew from Fort Erie. He says it was a fun weekend going solo to watch wrestling in Toronto. Collision was fun, and the crowd helped, especially for Punk. Same thing for Forbidden Door, except the show was too long. My match of the night was Omega and Osprey. The main event was good, but there were some parts that I felt I was dozing off for a bit and didn't ex- expect the finish to be a tap out from Okada. Thanks for a fun get-together with the community for Forbidden Poor. I couldn't come for the post-show due to work the next day. Yeah, this was one, again, I, I think that the zero hour is sort of a... It's a voluntary hour that I don't necessarily tack on to this. I, you know, there have been times when you feel the length of a show. This was not one of those cases uh, for me, um, at least being in the building. And especially that, that final stretch, like if you came for those big two matches, I thought they delivered and then some, and I mean, throughout the show, like you, you had several like outstanding matches to um, keep things moving. I, I don't have as much of an issue where it's like an eight o'clock till midnight, um, pay-per-view level i think three hours i you're not doing that show in three hours uh without cutting down a lot and i think people would have felt um you wouldn't want to compromise that omega osprey match or even danielson okada either 
Let's go to Eric from Cork, Ireland, who says, good show overall, though not as good as the live Ask Away yesterday. All right. Well, we'll take did, the compliment. Did, did we over-deliver um, over on a – we do better than Okada versus uh, – or Omega versus Osprey? Did we all have right. our version of uh... – I think we did. Uh, main event, Punk and the 10-men the were all very good with the, most of the rest of the card decent. Sting Tag was probably the worst match on this run, which is to be expected considering half the people in it are old and Naito was putting in zero effort. I wouldn't say that. He did have his shirt on, but I would not say zero effort. I thought it was a good Naito effort. It, Osprey Omega was bad, far worse than their first match. Far too long and overindulgent with both reverting back to their worst ten- tendencies. Osprey as a heel always refuses to let the babyface look cooler than him and is going to do his cool moves knowing that he's going to get cheered for it, which results in a mess of the match. If you want to be cheered, just work a double babyface match. Okay, we're going to go to one more. Let's go to uh, Jordan from the Bronx. An incredible show. Kenny and Will was match of the night and surpassed their Wrestle Kingdom match, in my opinion. Hopefully the rubber match happens at Wembley. I'm only disappointed that Callus's security wasn't the Truth Commission. I didn't like Sting trying to take all of the Sammy stuff. I felt uncom- uncomfortable at times. Danielson and Okada was art. Fake seizure aside, tapping out Okada with an improvised submission was the last thing anyone would predict. Eddie Kingston's storytelling in this match is why he's one of the best in the business, and the rest of the card was a lot of fun. Forbidden Door is a can't-miss show. Hopefully next year there's some integration with Stardom to help boost the women's presence on the show. Yes, Stardom did have a pay-per-view on Sunday as well, so that always was going to be um, an issue that was going to prevent that from occurring. But given the advancements with, with, with Julia... I think that certainly there is a groundswell of demand to see stardom integration with AEW in the future. And I'm sure that it is something that they will address with the, the amount of comments that you did see going in and coming out of this show when it, when it comes to that as well. And Julia to me would be probably at the top of your list of the talent that you would want to export. And I kind of like the idea of one representative coming over at the beginning, as opposed to just, a whole slew of talent. Like you can do that in the future when you have the right show set up and the right um, sort of architecture for a show. But Julia just coming in as your one representative to start. I think that's the way to begin things. And it looks like they're going to get the ball rolling on that with Willow. I also don't think it needs to be kept a forbidden door for something like that to happen. No, no, this can satisfy other parts of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, on that note, we have surpassed the two-hour mark. Thanks to everyone that joined us here for a special a Monday afternoon edition of the show. Yes, we are back tonight for Rewind of Raw. We will be live at 11 Eastern, so join us then. We'll catch up on any news uh, that's going on and then get into Raw from Savannah, Georgia. So, again, a big thank you to anyone that we got to see over the weekend at the Forbidden Poor. A big thank you to all of you and for tuning in today as well. So, um Way and I are going to get some rest and then come back for hey, three more hours of wrestling tonight. Join us if you enjoy these reviews by supporting at postwrestlingcafe.com or video.postwrestling.com. For the next several, several weeks, we're going to have at least four shows a week in a row. So uh, those of you that only listen to us Mondays or Wednesdays, you can get us pretty much every single other day of the week by signing up at postwrestlingcafe.com where we have our MCU later reviews of Secret Invasion coming out. We have our Dark Side of the Ring reviews after Rewind the Dynamite. Rewind a Smackdown on Fridays. Rewind uh, uh, AEW Collision Course with Kate and Sino every Wednesday, or sorry, every Saturday slash Sunday now. And uh, soon to come, the G1 as well. So um lots of great stuff over at postwrestlingcafe.com yes it is uh 
The support that keeps post-wrestling running. Postwrestlingcafe.com, video.postwrestling.com. You can sign up now and you get a whole month uh, to check out everything. Four shows per week uh, for the foreseeable future on the cafe. So thanks to everyone for joining us and we will speak with you tonight.